Welcome back, Martini Giant fans. This is episode number 93, which features two very interesting films. First films, at least by Martini Giant standards, uh, by some very, very influential directors that have completely changed the entire film industry after they did them. The first one is Sugarland Express by Steven Spielberg from 1974, and we follow that up with American Graffiti by George Lucas from 1973. Now, if you're a true Martini Giant fan and a film nerd like we are, you're going to say, well, hold on a second. George Lucas did THX 1138 before he did American Graffiti. Yes, that's correct. But we're not considering that a feature film. It was more of a student film that he became uh, featured in in theaters. So we're not really going to think about that in terms of what it is. But... You're also going to say, well, hold on a second. Steven Spielberg did Duel before he did Sugarland Express. Yes, that's true, but Duel was a made-for-TV film. It wasn't really a feature film in the same way. So if you can argue that these are their second films, that's fine. You can say it's their second films. But for us, we're considering it their first major film that they've done. And it's actually really great because if you think about what these two films are, and we're actually using these as an excuse we're calling them road films um they're actually pretty interesting in a lot of ways and really launched these people's careers and we're talking about steven spielberg and george lucas so this is uh this they can those two people completely changed the face of cinema with star wars and jaws and everything else that happened after that it was a major launching pad for these guys so very very important films in terms of where their careers went after that. So uh, very excited to do that. Um, anyway, uh, hopefully you guys will enjoy this episode. We actually did it as a, a send-off to Dan Thrawn, who went on a uh, road trip to Texas, which we thought was appropriate with Sugarland Express. Anyway, here are our announcements to, to go through. First of, uh, first of all, I mentioned it many times, several times, uh, we are available on Twitch, and that is a main part where you can actually interact with us as we, as we actually record the episode. We stream the episodes on Twitch as we record them. So if you want to know more about that, go to twitch.tv slash martini underscore giant. Again, that is twitch.tv slash martini underscore giant. And this Saturday, June 4th at 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, which is GMT minus 8, you can join us uh, to do uh, two films. Now, quick note, Eric is not going to be able to join us because, unfortunately, he is on vacation, which he well deserves. uh, So he won't be able to join us. So we're going to do two films, uh, and they're going to be a film that Dan Thrawn has never seen and a movie that I have never seen. So the first film that Dan Thrawn has never seen is the movie called Downsizing, uh, which I think is a very interesting sci-fi film. And we're pairing that with another one called The Terminal Man, which was filmed in the 70s, which I have never seen. So it could be pretty interesting to see these two films together. I'm excited to see The Terminal Man, and I'm very excited to hear Dan Thrawn's thought on downsizing. So it would be a lot of fun. So go ahead and do that and, you know, Please enjoy that. Now, another announcement I want to make is our watch parties. We've actually started to think a little bit more about what our watch parties do. Uh, Since we record our podcasts every two weeks, on the weeks that we don't record them, we still do a Twitch stream every Saturday, and we do them as watch parties, and they're a lot of fun. And so one of the things we've done is to uh, give the opportunity for our Twitch subscribers 
to be uh, to one suggest a watch party and to actually be a part of it and let them be on the actual podcast. So in order for that to happen, I know it's a few steps, but you know, f- follow me on this one. Um, first thing you have to do is go onto Twitch and actually subscribe to our channel. Subscriptions can be done by either uh, 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 paying for a subscription to our channel, which would be great, but you are actually given one free, if you're a Prime subscriber or, or Amazon Prime subscriber, uh, you actually have one free subscription you can do every month, and we'd love to be that uh, that podcast that you subscribe to. And then uh, when you do that, then you have to join our Discord, which is where all the discussion about all the cool stuff happens. And then just let us know you're a subscriber. We'll let you into the subscribers-only uh, uh, area. And then go ahead, recommend a movie for the watch party, and we would love to have you guys on and, uh, and to just to talk about the movie you want to be and actually have you be part of the podcast. So really cool stuff to do. All right. So uh, let us know what you want to do and go ahead and do this. If you have any questions about it, just go ahead and follow us on Twitter. We are uh, at Martini Giant on Twitter. And of course, you can always email us, which is podcast at martinigiant.com. We'll let you know all the details. Happy to help you in either way. All right. But for now, please enjoy episode 93 Sugarland Express and American Graffiti. Heineken reminds me of my of my youth, and also Blue Velvet. Blue Velvet, Pabst Blue Ribbon. Yeah, Pabst Blue Ribbon. <laughs> Nothing beats Pabst Blue Ribbon, my friend. I agree with I, Frank. I am drinking uh, lemon and ginger uh, salsa water. Trader Joe's brand lemon and ginger. Fancy that. Fancy yeah, that. Organic. Right. Organic water. That's what you want. That's right. You don't want any of that chemically made water. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of chemicals that are organic as well. Just mm-hmm. saying. You know, it's organic chemistry. The chemicals <laughs> are in fact an organic an organic process. <laughs> these are yeah. real. These are real things that happen all the time. Chemicals. <clears throat> I love it when they say organic salt. Organic salt. That's right. It's not from some other planet. <laughs> it's a rock from within the earth. Organic sugar. And organic sugar. Yeah. I know what they imply <laughs> with organic. I know what they mean by it. But the thing is that they sort of use the fact that organic in legalese means a much broader thing than what people take it to mean. Yes. Right. They abuse Like free range chicken. Yeah, exactly. Like free range chicken is like they're they're not one so many bars. <laughs> exactly, not so many bars in the cage. <laughs> yeah, it's one foot by one foot is free the range. legal. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, if they have one foot around them, yeah, each one that's considered. Free that's right. If their if their beak is not sticking out of the cage and they have no choice, then that's pretty range. sad. Yeah. Yep. I'm. Uh, <clears throat> So what would be a free range podcaster? Like <laughs> I am actually in the free range chicken situation right now. This is where I work. It's one it's one foot all around me. I can touch literally all the walls of my office at once. <laughs> free range podcast. And I'm gonna say isn't that, this, a, isn't that called a closet? It is it is in fact called a closet. That's <laughs> called a closet, yes. This was a closet and now is still a closet. Right. <clears throat> I have a uh, 
Yeah, I'm I'm in fact broadcasting from my daughter's room. <laughs> nice. Because <laughs> she's in a play. Which reminds me, I have to be I have a heart out at six because I have to go to a play. Oh, right on. What's uh, the play she's in? Uh Radium Girls. Oh, nice. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, about the that. girls that made the watches. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. That's spectacular. Very cool. And Mike Black Studio says, Hello, all love the avatars. Nice job, Eric. Yeah, right on. Thanks, there Mike Black go. Studio. Beautiful. Plank, thanks a lot, Mike. Appreciate that. Uh I got some news today. Today, um, I had uh this morning probably one of the best perch fishing I've ever had. Like literally almost every other cast I was catching a fish. I must okay. have caught 30 fish. Holy smokes. That's great. Wow. Uh, it was crazy. And then as I was fishing, I saw a, uh, a school of leopard sharks only about two feet in the water swimming by me. Um, they were probably about three to four feet, each each shark. And uh, so I talked to Al about it and he said, oh, yeah, that's because there's a ton of perch there and they're all giving birth to their babies. So you have little baby perch. So the sharks are slurping up the baby. Oh man, yeah, that's a that, that's like the ponderosa for sharks. Ponderosa. <laughs> <laughs> so he said, "What you can do is you can take your, you can uh, tie little 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 uh, uh, bait patterns like this, but they make them the same color as the perch, and then you may catch a leopard shark." Oh, nice! Wow. Mm -hmm. So that, I, how big is le leopard shark's Not super huge, but it's larger. It's not like a sand shark, small. Leopard shark's a pretty big shark. They can they can get like five six feet, yeah. but most of them are like three feet, yeah. four feet. Are they right. the type of sharks that don't bother you, like hammerheads? They don't bother you at all. Yeah, no, they're not. No. They're not. Uh, they're they're completely like, harmless. Right. If you're a baby perch, though, that's your nightmare. <laughs> that's your jaws. <laughs> that's your jaws. <laughs> yeah. I mean, let me just put it this way: like a lot of things eat a lot of things in the water. <laughs> that's that's pretty much the business. Most, most uh, I don't think there's any vegetarian fish. Very few no. vegetarian fish. Yeah, like that. That is the circle of life is really condensed in the ocean. In the, yeah. <laughs> it's like it's a very tight circle. Like, there's a lot of there are shrimp on. that eat plankton, mm -hmm. and then everything eats shrimp. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's pretty much it. The, the plankton are just like the base unit of food <laughs> that mm -hmm. travels up the food chain. Like they yep. eat algae or whatever they eat, and then right. And there are up. no, like, aren't manatees? Uh, that's not a ma that's a mammal. Yeah, true, <laughs> but ocean wise, mm -hmm. they eat only vegetables, right, or plants. They actually only shop at Whole Foods. Yeah, <laughs> only that's at right. the buffet. <laughs> that's right manatees paying yeah. 7.95 a pound for chicken salad no no you can't see that oh my god <laughs> never gonna do it uh i but anyway i so i think i'm gonna try to go on a vacation i've got this big project that you guys know i'm trying to finish up and then it's been exhausting me mm -hmm. and i think i'm gonna try to take an impromptu trip fishing trip and so i called al and he asked him for a recommendation and he said i should go to baja I'm trying to catch catch some rooster fish on the beaches in Baja. Nice, nice. It's like that's not a bad idea. That sounds very fun. That sounds very fun. Yeah. I've never yeah. really been. I've never been to Baja. Baja must be beautiful, though. I've never been to. I've been to Puerto I've Vallarta, which is further south, but I've never been to Baja. Hmm. Never been. Hmm. Yeah, but yeah. that's great. 
That's great. I also want to note that, you know, while I did have the background of the Martini Giant, I'm also wearing the T-shirt. The T-shirt. Man, you are like. The same thing. You got it all plugged uh, in. I highly recommend uh, get this uh, T-shirt available to you. If you go to martinigiant.com, go to our Threadless store and pick up one of these T-shirts. Hell yeah. Look at that beautiful design. That's a great little yeah. bit of advertising in the back that uh, that uh, the green screen action you have going on there. You'll mm-hmm. get some of that happening. Not bad. Yeah. That's a handsome design, though. That's like, I love everything about that thing. The, especially I love the, like the the illustration is marvelous. I really also love the font choice. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of that font. That's a great choice. Absolutely, nice work. Thank you very much. I am wearing it. My the first Martini Giant shirt I ever got, and it's I've worn it down to almost nothing. So it's time to. I got to get myself. Replace, yeah, it's time to replace it with a a fresh well, new Eric, item. You don't really wear t-shirts. You always wear collared shirts, as far as no, I, I wear uh, black t-shirts. Okay. Yeah, I, go, true, yeah. I go Jackson Pollock a lot. So. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But yes, yeah. I, I want to get one of those. Um, I should, you know? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I hear you. But Hell so yeah. you're going to do a vacation. Yeah, we're, we're going to, I think we're going to be going on a vacation. Yeah. The world where are you thinking of? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, where are you, where are you thinking of vacating to? Uh, well, nobody really knows, but it, it well, our listening audience will be, I think it's 10 days. We're going in 29th of May. We're going to go to, uh, I'm taking my wife and daughter to Italy. Nice. Wow. Good job. I bet that's fantastic. We haven't vacation in a while and I used to live there as a student. So we're going to stay in Florence and maybe go to Siena. I spent some time there and Rome. So just kind of live cheap, you know, and go to the galleries, hang out. And, uh, We'll see uh, and eat. We'll see. But I think it'll be good for bonding and stuff. We have absolutely stuck around. And, uh, you know, I, uh, yeah, I thought I, we were like, you know what, let's just do it. But then the war started. But it's all right. Yeah. Well, do you like, you shouldn't. Yes, just, Putin's just, my you, uncle, but I'm like, yeah, I you know, know it's embarrassing. I, I haven't talked talk to him about in two Christmases. Christmases. I haven't but, talked to him in two Christmases. Yeah. And even when you last cards. talked to him, it was awkward, right? It was, it was awkward. Yeah, it was a little he strange. was like all roided out. And I was like, yeah, he's look, all, I guess this yeah. is not the time to talk. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. Boy, yeah. I got to go wrestle a bear. Nah. <laughs> in the driveway again. He was offended that I did the whole bear thing and I replaced his head with mine. No, I, I know. Like, I was like, "Come on, that's the fucking comedy. emails." Like, God, it's that. comedy. Jesus. It's that's comedy. Yeah. He just doesn't know. get like, it. You don't you know, do that to family. I know. That's what he was saying. People are very sensitive. And I said, "You don't talk to a man like Mo Greenberg that way. <laughs> you don't talk to a man like Mo Green Greenberg like that." <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm actually currently on vacation. This is the first vacation I've been on like actual vacation specifically uh-huh. taking time away from work uh in since in about almost 20 years yes oh, uh, I did okay that two years <laughs> yeah yep. so i would like to note that this is specifically the theme of this podcast is That's that right. uh, dan is about to go on a road trip yep. and we decided to do podcasts about road trips of sorts mm-hmm. and so i thought of sugarland express because a great road trip movie was, yep Great road trip movie. Mm-hmm. And then a semi road trip, even though it's down the same street over and over again. <laughs> a cruising uh, road trip movie. Cruising road trip, American Graffiti. It is graffiti. totally the same yeah. street over and over again. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's great. Which is great. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, one of them also, they're, they're specifically Sugarland Express is uh, Spielberg's first big movie, shall we say? Yeah. Because yes. Duel was a 
you know, made well, it's TV fair to film. say that these are both their uh, Lucas and Spielberg's first studio movies. Um, and you're right. Duel was made basically for TV and then re repackaged for theaters. And the same is true. I believe a THX 1138 was Lucas's first movie, but he made that as I, I think people can correct me as a, a student project that was sort of inflated after the fact when people, like I think it. he kept trying to sell it and he just kept, kept yeah. couldn't working. Yeah. And he kept trying but it's, yeah, it's sort of like how the, John Carpenter did Dark Star for USC. And then they were like, oh, shit, it kind of works as a movie. Maybe we can pad this out and blah, blah, blah. Right. Uh, but these are like legit made for the studio studio films. And uh, and so you can like it's the first thing you can really judge on on their own merits without having extreme limitations. Right. So I. I went hardcore today and I watched Duel. Oh yeah. Again. Yeah. And then I went right into Sugarland. Nice. Oh, that's good. Really? Duel's a pretty yeah. good movie, man. Duel is a really good yeah, movie. I like especially it a lot. considering there's like five words of dialogue in the whole yeah. or five no words dialogue. of dialogue. Now, how much did that influence uh Mad Max? Pretty well. One hundred percent influenced it, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Holy crap. That, that fucking like... truck is iconic. It's iconic. Yeah. Yeah, that is just the the truck as a villain, and that's all you need to do. It was really great, really, really great to see that. It's been years, so I was pretty excited, and I don't know why I did it, but you know, why not? Oh god, yeah, it's such a hard day. Plus, a little Dennis Weaver in the morning is not is not bad for you. That's good. Yeah, some of the uh, overdubs were. It's it's dubs galore that movie. Yeah, it's like I can't. Yeah, it's like a Excalibur. It's one of those total post films. The really Oh my god! Yeah. It was like nope. I don't remember this much overdubbing, but yes, it was a lot. Um, but uh, yeah, it was fun. In was the great. '70s, I think it was just too cumbersome to actually mic people. <laughs> oh yeah, like this is the thing. The the big transition you see is like first, like you know, in the in the '60s, like when studios can first go outside. There's lots of like what they call sidewalk porn, which is like, you'd see someone like, like, wow, you can film outside, not, not on stage. Like, cause it's easier to actually expose the film properly. So you have like Cary Grant, like drives into a parking space, gets out of the car. You see him lavishly walk all the way towards his office building and go inside. You're just like, what was that scene for? It's cause they could shoot outside for the first time. And then in the, in the late sixties and early seventies, you get cameras that are small enough to do that as well for indie filmmakers and so they're like, let's shoot outside. And like, then you sound- get bullet. Yeah. Then you get bullet. Right. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, but like when you shoot outside, when you're an indie filmmaker in like the seventies, you have no microphones that can handle anything. And so mm-hmm. like all the sound is like <laughs> all the time and they have to dub everything. It's, it's awesome. And duel is like the best right. example of that stuff. Yep. Yep. I do want to say, uh, uh, hi to Drokis, who I believe has been on before. Hello, uh, hello. Um, and, uh, and of course, us. Mike. Yeah, Mike is back. Mike, of course, is here. And who else is here? Uh, Casino Banks, uh, Sophia Cal, so nice. Sophie Cal, Sophie Cal. Yeah. Hello, hello. So welcome hello, all of you guys. Um. All right. Uh, what was what was your? I mean, we've all seen these films many times. I'm assuming. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yes. Yes. What was uh, it like to see them in context in terms of A B? Oh, I'm. I, I don't know. Let's see. I think of 
like there's the, my my dominant thought in both of these movies is like like the qualities of their filmmaking yep are like it's very split yeah like, very sprouting early like a little bud yeah like very very early oh my on. god yes yeah and uh, and like the like i think that uh like Sp- spielberg is really like out of the gate doing spielberg shots like uh like Sherlock express yes. is a gorgeous movie and like he is doing these beautiful you know wonders and beautiful like multi multi-stage he, it's like already he starts with like he's incredible crowd control oh it's like insane he, it's like, like i forgot it, how big the movie like is big and it's like close encounters was like that where it's just I, the news exactly. people were the news people and all these big worlds and people on the side doing their own it was like incredible crowds and yeah. they all like, like jaws is a comparably smaller movie than this that's right it's wild. The amount of the cars, the cars and cars and it's cars. It's like Blues Brothers cars. level of cars in this movie. It's yeah. insane. It was it's insane. Blues Brothers levels of cars. But it's also beautifully <laughs> framed. Like every all those shots of all that stuff are just like jam-packed all the time. And he never lets because there's always a thing when you when people try to do big shots, sometimes they let the lens get too big and they see the edges of what they were able to fill out. Mm. And he never mm-hmm. lets it get away from him. Like everything is always like cutting out of the frame just even like a billion cars and even though you know that if the camera turned like one inch to the left there'd be nothing you know but right. he doesn't he doesn't let you see the seams at all it's really really pro really really great and and the mm-hmm. other thing is that uh like i you almost forget uh due to the other movie he is famous for like george lucas was a really good fucking filmmaker like he was he a, was really really good and uh and american graffiti is like like you like with all the sort of like i don't know the uh the flatness and bad direction of actors that he is now famous for like i don't know where that came from because like american graffiti is so gorgeous so well edited so well timed and all well, of the character edited. stuff yeah and all but all the character direction is terrific the like, character development is superb yeah but you got to realize that he I, I was watching this. By the way, I did. I totally never knew that Suzanne Summers was the blonde. Yes, Suzanne Summers is the blonde in the, the blonde in the in the in the in the T bird. Oh shit! I didn't notice. I did. I was looking. Yes. Right. I didn't recognize. I, I saw. I saw that in the credits at the that's end. I was like, holy oh, god! But wow, it was absolutely so. That Mel's Diner was in up north, San Francisco, San Francisco. It's all shows, it right? It's all Sonoma. By, uh... Yes. Yeah. Mostly. Sonoma, I thought. Because I, I, I think that the what was that it? was like, uh, it's just Charles Martin. Like it was it, shot like just north of San Fran, the, like all the streets were. Modesto. No, there was a town. It was two towns. There was one town they were supposed to shoot everything, and then everything went to shit. And so they, another town said, "We'll help you out," and they moved over to that town, and then did just a couple of drive-by scenes. I mean, they must have been just going up and down that fucking up and street, down. Like, yeah, for, they're just for, for forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah wow, I'm looking at that photo. In summer's like Sonoma, like, Richmond, Nevada, and Buchanan Field Airport in Concord. Mel's yeah. driving in in San Francisco, though. Yep. Right. Yep. But like, yeah, there's yeah, like, uh, yeah, there's there's such a because you can see uh, George Lucas's early like his short films that he did uh, at uh, film school. Like he he does like a race car movie, and he like already knows how to shoot this stuff really really well. Um, but like 
uh, I was really, I hadn't seen it in a few years. And I was really surprised at how, what a dense, beautiful looking movie this was. And like how, like how it's following all these character threads so well. And it creates this total world um, uh, that never gets dull. Like I was really knocked out. What's interesting though, it's like, I thought we were watching, Yeah, you know, I thought we were supposed to watch super bad. But it was, of course, uh, yeah. yeah. But uh, it was super, super bad. Like, is so much like this. I forgot. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I it's mean, true. it's absolutely. But I realized watching <coughs> how many television show spinoffs kind of came from that. Oh, sure. Yeah, like, yeah, Happy, love, days, Joan Happy Days. Joan loves Chachi. Laverne and Shirley. Shirley. Laverne and Shirley. In yeah. fact, Laverne that was in there. He's in it. Yep. Right. As yes. well as Ron Howard. As yep. well as. Yep. Um, uh, and yeah, they had Harrison Ford, but the other woman Ford is terrific. And I know. Oh my he's god, so he's good. such a—he's not a great actor in this. He's film charming though. Like he's like he's, he's so totally charming, but it's clearly his first movie. It's, I mean, he's—he's he's not an actor in this movie. He's not just no. like what he says. Like I ain't nobody dork. <laughs> like you get you get a little better than that. We can look forward to better work. Yeah, but the blonde uh, woman funny. that goes out with a geeky guy. She oh, yeah, was, yeah. That's Candy she was, Clark, right? That's right. She Candy was Clark, yeah. in The Man Who Fell to Earth. Yeah, she's great. She's great. Yes. Yeah, because that's um, uh, what's his face from The Untouchables and Never Cry Wolf and Starman and all that stuff is the geeky kid. And he's he's uh, Charles Martin Smith, and he's really, really great. Um, but like, if it were just him alone, his joke would kind of run dry. But she is so good and so likable. And this is just true with everybody in the movie. Like, the casting is like, dynamite all the way through Mackenzie Phillips, yeah. like uh, really Tree Williams. And it's just like, yeah. it's just, an, it's just incredible. And like, I think this movie kind of gets down talked when you go on film Twitter, everyone's just like, you know, like, cause they're so, they want to shit on George Lucas so much that they take this one down with it. I'm just like, this movie is fucking great. Like this is better than movies that are more famous for doing the same thing. You know, yes. like I, like I really like um, uh, what's Richard Linkletter's, High school movies with uh, Tim uh, Days and Confused. Days and Confused, great, but like it is comparatively amateur hour to, to compared to American Graffiti. Like like Days and Confused is funny as hell, great characters, awesome stuff, but like it feels really stagey and kind of awkward next to the unbelievable naturalism of American Graffiti. Like I can't even believe that this is his first like movie movie. Yeah. Really, really yeah. incredible. Like nothing feels like it's faked. Everything feels like this big weird world. Like he totally the world builds this whole thing. That's perfect. The thing that really surprised me this time around that I did, you know, didn't really notice. I kind of noticed it, but it was very subconscious. That I was really paying attention this time is that music is playing the whole, whole time. time. Yeah. The Not whole stop. time. There's always some soundtrack mm -hmm. going on. Some 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 you know mu uh, uh, song or whatever's going on, except for one time mm -hmm. when they literally said, "Where's the music? Where's the music? Oh no, the car <laughs> stole it." It's so good. And it's like the only oh, time great. that there isn't any music is when it's actually a plot point with that you know, which was amazing. Yeah, but they're so always 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 playing music, which is a which is kind of an interesting thing to way to to do it. And also, I would add on to that. Like, I think that because movies like this usually have like a zillion needle drops, but the way they use music in this is not, it doesn't really call attention to the song that is being played. Like, it'll occur to you that, you know, 
uh, Goodnight Sweetheart is playing and it connects to the end of the movie, obviously. Um, but like, it doesn't point it out, right? It doesn't like indicate it. Yeah. Like it lets it, it lets it feel like it's co- this constant background. And also the music of the period that they're trying to replicate all has this very, like the style was very sort of big and echoey, like the oh, way yeah. they re- recorded it. And so it all feels like it's playing somewhere else and you're just getting the wash of it. And like, I right. had the same feeling watching, uh, John Carpenter's Christine, which is a really yeah. horror movie, but it uses that to some incredible effect where you feel like it's just like you're in this very um, uh, liminal space. Instead of feeling like you're in this crisp place where you're right there, it's like you're in the one street over from where things are happening. Like you're outside the concert kind of feeling. I mean, it's really, really haunting and really weird. And it's and it's so totally complete in American Graffiti. And it's like, like you're saying, it's like wall-to-wall carpeting. Uh, that I think that's what creates that dreamy mode for the entire film. It's really wild. Yeah, it is. It holds up. It really it is. It's pleasant to watch. But yeah, I think people probably do hate George Lucas yeah. for what he's done later. So they, they judge that. But well, I feel like I think they're wrong. I think that's why they should watch this movie specifically. Exactly. So that they could get some perspective on on the fact, well, he might have, you know, messed up star wars but look what he actually did too but he created, well, you know he created I mean? star wars yeah, this is the thing man it's just like i feel i do feel bad for that guy as much as i can for a billionaire but it's just like i feel bad for the dude just because like his creative sensibilities got really damaged at some point you know it's just like post star wars like like he's not in the right space anymore. He's not making the right decisions. I think anymore. it's when it became, but he's the poster child for when movies became commercial, right? Yeah, he's between him and Spielberg. They're the reason why movies are the way that they are today. Like it's like, right. It is those two guys. That's it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but this is this is but but this is the movies that they made when they were still the, you know, in the in the uh, the vein of the of the. Uh, What's his name? You know, the, the, the big directors, right? They were mm-hmm. going to be with the Coppola's. I mean, this was it's all part of the same produced crew. by Coppola, right? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I mean, yep. he worked with Coppola very cl- He was like Coppola's right hand man, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, they were all buds back then, right? And like, they were really close. Right? They were really, really close. Because yeah. it's uh it's him, uh Spielberg, uh, Walter Haskell, Merch, uh, Haskell Wexler, um uh, uh uh what's his name? Um uh Brian De Palma. Uh, all these guys, like, like they're all buds. Was it what was the name of the Coppola's production? Zentropic? No, Amer- American Zoetrope. Yeah, Z- American. American Zoetrope. Right. Yeah. His idea. It's much like United Artists, right? It's like his idea was to uh, get away from studio control and create a create a studio that was artist run, right? And mm-hmm. the the problem that like this happened to UA as well. It's like the problem that happens is you which get was like what Mary Pickford, Mary Pickford, Charlie Chaplin, Chaplin. all that stuff, right? and. Douglas Fairbanks. Douglas Fairbanks. And so the like the the problem that happens when that when you have stars that are big enough to do that, like you are dealing with a lot of big egos as well. And that happened uh to American Zotra. Like it like it just once you once you're like dealing with Apocalypse Now and the Godfather and Star Wars and all this stuff, like you just can't hold hold those egos in the same pen anymore. Um, and so that fell apart. I think, and then they put, they put it back together later, but it, it basically fell apart for those, for those reasons. But like the, back in the, like in, in that, in that, you know, like seven or eight year run, like it's like the level, it's like, the, like there's, I don't think there's outside of maybe Japan, eh, 
yeah, I would say outside of Japan, I don't know if there's any run where a single country contributed more yep. to film in one short burst. Period. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's, a, very yeah, true. It, it's really, it's really stunning. And, uh, and it's all from these friends. It was just a bunch of friends and we, we wouldn't have the landscape at all that we have today um, no. without them. And so it's interesting to compare these two movies in particular to where we're at right now, because what right. they, what they do after those movies essentially destroys the world in which these early movies could have existed in. Like they're, they're the ones who, who vaporize <laughs> like this, uh, this kind of filmmaking, uh, which we could use a lot more of now. It's interesting. What did yeah. they, they obviously didn't do it on purpose. No. Just their talents created something that became larger than them. Yeah. I think Mike was asking, he's like, uh, is the tech, is the tech obsession of all the digital edition got, he got wrapped up and made him take the eye off the ball. I think that's digital part editing. Of, yeah. Sorry. Digital yeah. editing. I think that's part of it. What do you guys say? I don't know. I think he kind of, I mean, if he, if you're going to talk about like the, the remakes that he did before he did the prequels, mm-hmm. right. And Are you talking about all the, Lucas? the re-releases? Yeah. The, when they read the re-releases that he did, I think, you know, he, he did those re-releases for financial and rights reasons. Yes. That's what anything. I understand. Yeah. Like, cause, right? like, cause they were, because then they get filed as brand new objects essentially. And that gives him, that solidifies his control over the licensing. Right. Yeah. So I think that was a business decision more yeah. than anything. And so to answer your question, yeah, maybe it was, I don't think it was him playing with new digital toys that got him into it. I think the digital toys gave him a means of redoing them so he can maintain control of those films yeah. on a financial level. But I don't think he actually did anything creative or worthy of creativity. I had heard a, I had heard a story um, from somebody in VFX years ago that on one of the Star Wars, I don't know which one, when they were doing scenes, you can hear a newspaper going because the, the ADs were directing and he was reading the newspaper. <laughs> That's great. That's funny. You can hear yeah. the page turn on the newspaper. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. And yeah. so that, I think he kind of tried to balance producing and becoming what, um, you know, a huge corporation and what he was. Right. And trying to be creative. Whereas Coppola basically made his money from wine as well. And right. he kind of split creative from work. Well, but he also, he, he blew himself out on apocalypse now like true there's just a big there's a huge hard line of like past that point he no longer puts as much effort into his movies like he still makes some good movies pegs who got married you know that kind of stuff some good movies um but past apocalypse now he's like i'm done with a big visionary thing like that's as much as i can ever do i think he he sprained his creative back lifting that one um and i think that like i suspect that there's something like that for lucas as well i like these are all, you know, the hear tell stories, but it's like, I think that, um, that Lucas went through some personal life trouble post star Wars with his marriage and all sorts of other stuff that, uh, uh, sort of made him make decisions that put him more and more out of the ballpark of being the direct creative responsible for stuff. And he was like, he was more about like solidifying his business and 
you know, doing technical producing and, and jazz like that. I'm just like, he got so far out of the game by the time that he does the prequels that the prequels, like, I feel like the prequels, like, I think they're kind of visionary, like in many ways, really they're bad. Um, but like when you compare those movies, like they're not good movies and they're, they're more or less unwatchable as movies. Um, but when you compare those movies and the amount of unique invention and what he is trying to do storytelling wise, the world that he's building, like, I wish that movies were as dense and interesting as the stuff that he was trying to set up in that. Like it's, he didn't do a good job with it. It's a mess. Uh, and they're boring. Uh, and the characters are terrible and the actors the acting is bad, even from good actors. Um, but like, he really was making something from himself uh, in those movies. What, and when which I, pro- proved to himself that he still has it. Yeah. And like these, those movies are so much his, like he didn't want to make star, like he didn't want to make star Wars, star Wars. He wanted to make something else. He wanted to make like a great big, crazy fairy tale landscape. That was slightly fantasy, like slightly sci-fi. And, uh, uh, because they're like those movies don't feel like Star Wars. They feel like something, like they they almost feel like a like grand like Chinese opera stuff, you know. Yeah. And uh, and the the level of this or super ornate detail, all this political material, and like that's not in Star Wars at all. This is brand new territory. If it had been done well, like if it had been well written and he directed the characters as well as he directed in American Graffiti, those movies would be like incredible breakthroughs. Um, but instead they're just for lumpy messes, but like you compare like what he does with those movies to what you get out of fucking, you know, whatever Marvel today. But he like, also had the energy as a youth, youth. Oh yeah. Uh, yep. It's a really hard to, hard to do that. I mean, it's right. really hard to do you feel <clears throat> as, as a creative. Do you do, how do you feel about your creative output and energy of your youth compared to where you are now? What is your relationship to that? It's harder now because I get wrapped up in things. I have to do all these things that are responsible, mm-hmm. quote unquote. And that becomes harder to dedicate more time, creatively speaking, and, and or, or more freely, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Um, do you but, feel like you would empathize more with Lucas uh, of at least the 90s than Lucas of the uh, mid-70s? I don't empathize with him too much. I think he, well, I do. I mean, I guess he made a choice. Mm -hmm. That choice wasn't necessarily a bad choice. Obviously he made him a shit ton of money. Mm -hmm. And he's really pushed the, pushed the tech element. Like, but I think what this film, I think what this film actually shows us is that he is a filmmaker. He's a really good filmmaker. And just because he didn't necessarily do it again, doesn't mean that he isn't a good filmmaker. Yeah, I mean, it's in is. there. Like, you look at the if movie, you do, it's there. If you do it once, it's not by accident. Like, right. this film is not by accident. No. No. Right? Yeah. So, I think he's a really great filmmaker, and I and, and I think that's, that's I'm going to, if someone says George Lucas is a shitty filmmaker, I'm saying, you're wrong. Just look at American Graffiti. And I'm not going to necessarily say that Phantom Menace is a great film. It's not as a terrible film. But look at American Graffiti. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know? I mean, like uh, that, because that's the thing is like, I, I think that if you make like film, making a movie, not that I've ever made a feature, like making a movie is super, super, super hard. <laughs> like it's like, it's an enormous amount of effort. And even yep. if everybody is incredibly talented and everyone has the best intentions, 
like he can still go off the rails at any moment all the time like and right. uh that you come out with one great film is sort of amazing you know and that's absolutely and i i I'd say like it just takes one great film to make you a great filmmaker mm -hmm. that's it you only need one that's because right? if you can pull one off theory for years right that has literally been my theory you just make one well, if it's I made like, one great film. That's it. Uh, who, who's the actor that directed uh, Night of the Hunter? It's his only movie that he directed. It was his only movie. And it's, it's also Sweet Smell of Success. Uh, it was his only movie. No shit, really? God, that, yeah. that's a pro film, man. Holy moly. Yeah. That's he a did great that, one. and then he went to teach at Cal Arts. Because when I was working for the director for Sky Captain, that was his teacher. Cause no we would talk Because like, Everson was, I took a class with Everson at NYU. And he was like well-known teacher, but this guy was like sweet smell of success. I mean, he was, and he just left. He just That's, I don't business. know why people don't talk about that movie more. That's a really great movie. Like that. You think you're a, a big cookie? You think yeah. you're a big cookie? Yeah, like if you like, there's plenty of uh, like, cause what's weird is that it's not a noir movie in terms of its subject matter, but it's one of the great noir films. Like, the camera work, the lighting, the editing, the tension is 100% like, mid 40s like you know late uh, 50s though late 50s yeah exactly like no that's what i'm saying is like it feels like a uh the most intense noir of 10 of 10 years previous and uh and and it's just stellar but nobody really mentions this one then Burt lancaster's amazing tony curtis is the the only truly amazing tony curtis role ever like and he's True. just 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 fantastic i like i like tony curtis but it's between what, this and the, the, uh, uh, um, uh, some like it hot <laughs> I do. I think he's the thing is that's that's actually a great distinction. I think he's yes. terrific at being Tony Curtis. Curtis in Absolutely. everything else. In something like that, he's fucking hysterical, and he's Tony Curtis. You know? Yes, but it's like it's like Jack Nicholson. It's just like Jack Nicholson before he does The Shining is one of the greatest actors I've ever seen, and then he Watch. does The Shining, and it's incredible, and he never acts again. He does a lot he of does. movies. <laughs> Just keeps on repeating The Shining. It's like, oh, I like doing The Shining. That was really fun. I'm just going to do that all the time now. Yeah, he just played himself, like yeah. in terms of endearment. Yeah, exactly. No, quick like question. Decent. Quick question for our uh, for our audience: uh, Have any of you guys seen these movies before? I'm wondering if we should go over them because they're actually kind of great stories. American um, Graffiti and uh, uh, Sugarland Express. Sugarland Express. We spend a lot of time talking about how we feel about George Lucas, which is interesting. I didn't know that's where we we're going to go with this, hmm. but that was funny. Uh, I'm wondering if any of you guys have seen these films. Anyway, let us know. I, I'm, I would say that most people have not seen Sugarland Express. I think that most people don't even know about Sugarland Express. Really? Yeah, I don't think that that's a. Uh, well, uh, that's not a like even in even. I know Spielberg fans who haven't seen Sugarland, so. All right, so we'll go through these for Mike because Mike hasn't seen either of them, so that's great. We'll do that. Fantastic. So Sugarland Express is um, – <sighs> we watched it with Brady and got him really frustrated because – Why? Of, uh, he doesn't like seeing people make really stupid decisions, and this film <laughs> this is, is all filled with decisions. Them. It's really all stupid decisions. dumb, bad ideas. Yes. Bad idea. It's like yeah. the bad idea genes yeah. of movies. Yeah, it's so great. Uh, it's really great. So it takes place in, in, uh, in Texas, mm -hmm. right near Houston, um, and in, around Sugarland, uh, which, by the way, all of that area now is completely enveloped into the greater 
Houston metropolis. No, no way. Yeah, so that's all of that, all of that area is all buildings and it's all Houston sprawl now. now. That's wild. It's all sprawled out there. Yeah. Yep. Jeez. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, it's really interesting to to sort of see that because like, oh shit, that's FM. Like, I know exactly which road that is. Like, you know, that's right near Houston. Right. Um, <clears throat> but the story is uh, actually fairly simple in some ways, and just goes and goes. But it's really, really good. Um, so the story is it's a guy is in pre-release prison. So it's like prison He's in like minimum the, security, you know, it's the last stage of prison before you're released from prison. Right. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's played by, right. and it's played by the guy who plays Walter Peck from <laughs> Ghostbusters, William Atherton. Yes. And yes. who is, who, who gets in I mean, with Ghostbusters and many other films becomes the classic Film. 80s dick villain like he is yes like i don't think that's well yeah like that guy he's yeah but in this he's a sweetheart he's a sweetheart he's, yes. and and very young looking too yes. very young looking and then it also features goldie hahn who mm -hmm. i believe this is her first movie movie that may be true yeah but she was like, tv though she did like she no she was on laughing she was on laughing she, did she yeah. do butterfly butterflies are free yet i'm not sure that might be one of them she but yeah before sure. yes yeah that's maybe maybe her for like but this is her first actual starring movie role i think that's true right like, right and this is from 1974 so mm -hmm. this is actually a year after uh, american graffiti so this is actually the uh so she is going to visit him in prison mm -hmm. Um, because she's his wife and she's, uh, crazy Goldie Hawn, uh, mm -hmm. at doing a really great crazy Goldie Hawn yep. and also dangerously crazy Goldie Hawn yes. in this, right? Um, so, and so what she decides to do is because she's visiting him is she, um, decides that he is going, even though he only has four months left in jail. Mm-hmm. Like he's doing a year time and he's got four months left. Like four he's months almost, left. Almost it. Yeah. For minimum thing. Yeah. She is going to break him out of jail mm -hmm. in this minimum security prison because it's super easy to do to go kidnap their son from his, the foster parents that are taking care of him. Yes. Because right? they've taken away from her because of, yeah, et cetera. Because she's an unfit mother. Unfit mother. Right. And so she's like, nope, we're, you and I are going to go get our son and then we're going to break him out. And he's like, I'm not going to do that. And he goes, yep. And so the, her method of breaking him out is that they're, all the prisoners are wearing white jumpsuits, right? Mm -hmm. She takes him into the bathroom like they're going to make out. And then she starts to take her clothes off and she realizes she's wearing two Another sets set of, of clothes, clothes <laughs> underneath her other clothes. And so right. she gives him the clo other clothes she's wearing so that they both have plain clothes and he literally just walks out of jail like he was one of the visitors visiting yeah it's it's the uh it's the prison escape uh level of like when you you know hop a subway fare machine <laughs> yes <laughs> it's, like, it's just like oh, with four months to go four it wasn't the dumbest thing and Brady was like he only had four months left what's yes. he doing that this is, is the stupidest which, thing i believe is what the movie wants you to feel <laughs> yes <laughs> like, what the fuck are you doing how close was this to true romance too Oh, oh yeah, very yeah. close, very, yeah. very close, yeah. very close. Yeah. But you feel there is there is some comedy in the feeling of how stupid this decision. Oh yeah, that's the greatness of it. That's the great because right. it's very and endearing. Then, the movie's a very endearing, sweet, film. right, 
Yes. It, like, it, they are, it they are dumbasses in this movie, but it is very, like, right. you're constantly charmed by their situation. Also, Perfect World. Oh, yeah. God, yes. That, if, by the way, if no one's seen a Perfect World Clone Eastwood movie, oh. you know, watch that literally right after you finish this podcast. That is the unsung great Clint Eastwood film. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. So uh, they have to figure out how to get out of there. They say that they're friends. Oh, they're friends of one of the people in there. And they get into this car with this old couple. Right? Yeah. And then, right. Well, yeah, right. Right. Because the old couple is the, the parents of one of the guards at the prison. And they sort of scam oh, right. their way into no, no, the car. No, no. Not the guard. One of his well, guards. The guy that is in prison with him who tries yeah, to yeah, stop that's him. right. Yeah, like he was just like, I'm going to tell the guards. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, got right. Four months to go. Yeah. And this is right. one of the, like, one of the, and Spielberg, we can talk more about this later. That is oh, yeah, because his friend is literally like, what are you doing? You got four months to go. Right as he's leaving in front of the guards and he yeah. still gets away with he it. still does <laughs> it, right. And so they sort of con their way into the parents' car. And the parents uh-huh. are this old couple. You know, uh-huh. and the like, you can feel the level of the, the tone of the movie is set by the very Spielbergian gag of like, it's the old dude who's like driving, but he's looking behind at them the whole time and I driving see. about four miles an hour. And like, everyone's getting right. pissed off behind them. And yep. like, this draws the attention of a cop the, right. who happens to be driving behind them. Right. And pulls them over, mm-hmm. pulls them over because he's driving way too slow. Because mm-hmm. it's an old Texan guy who's telling stories and not paying attention to the road and driving. And the car is smoking. And the car is and the car is smoking. Right, because <laughs> it's, it's going so slow. The same effects crew from um, Duel. Yeah, guaranteed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's so so funny, so funny. And by the way, Karen also noticed that like in this movie, they're either young people or very old people. Or very old people. Yeah. Like right. they, they don't actually have like anyone who's middle aged is not really. Yeah, it's so like maybe maybe movie. the main cop is the one middle aged person. Maybe. Everybody everybody right. else they meet is one or the other. Yeah, it is a lot of old, young and old. Yeah. No. Yeah. And so the cop pulls them over, at which point Goldie Hahn and the guy freak out because they got pulled over by the cops. The cop is talking to the old man, and then they steal the cop car they steal and take the cop the, car. With, take the cop prisoner, right? With the Should they take the prisoner at that point? <laughs> and they take no. yes, and like, well, they they steal the cop car, a big car chase, which is a great car chase, right? Yeah. And then it ends in them crashing their car. Right? They don't she steal the cop car. She's like, injured. Yeah, like he helps They don't steal the, the cop car. car yet. They actually, yeah, they go. They oh, right, right, right. Car. They don't steal the cop car. They yeah. steal the old people's car. Old people's car. Then they get into a chase. Crash that, that car. car. And then they steal the cop car where the cop comes up to uh, to deal with them. And, right. Uh, and they <laughs> kidnap the cop in the cop car and start driving. Yes. This Which the basically, the these are all things that frustrated Brady when he watched this. Like, why would they steal the car? They they could just not say anything and get yes. away with it. Nope. Yes. Not only that. Not oh, they crashed the car. Them. That's a dumb idea. Oh, now they steal the cop no, car. Not with that's the a cop. Really dumb idea. <laughs> like, with the cop in it. <laughs> yeah, this is bad. This is a bad idea. But that's the basic yeah. side of the movie is that they have kidnapped a cop and yes. are driving in a cop car. Uh, trying to, to get to Sugarland. Trying to get to Sugarland so she can get her baby back. And like, of course... The more cops that start following them, the lesser the chance that she is going to get that baby back. 
Like, right. Yeah. <laughs> and cops really yeah. start falling. And so it, it ends up being this long, long convoy of cop cars that follow them around right. with them not really having a quote unquote plan on where this is going to go. Right. Right. And it's long, long, long. And it's all over the news. Mm-hmm. So now every town they go through, people are cheering for them. Right. And so they become <laughs> right. more and more famous. Right. And the, right. Until the, right. to the point where they're like, it's a little Bonnie and Clyde. Right. And, uh, and like until they're like giving gifts to them through the car windows, this kind of stuff. Yes. And over the course of the thing, <clears throat> you like they bond as a sort of a, a unit, a unit like the the cop that the cop comes yeah. to like them very much and care and care for them. Um, and uh, and like not be on their side, but is on their side and doesn't want them to be hurt. And right. uh, and they're being chased down by two cops, one who also doesn't want them to be hurt and doesn't want to hurt anybody. And one who definitely wants to hurt them. Uh, and, yep. uh, and, uh, and, get, you know, gets sharp shooters involved and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, it's, it's, right. but it pretty much is the theme of Spielberg for the rest of his life about searching for a father figure mm-hmm. and family, the importance of family and what you would do yep. and how important it is. And, yep. you know, even if, you know, the older cop on the CV is, you know, a father figure to him in a way. Right. But it's that kind of searching. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't make sense, but yeah, like it's definitely like the, the, like the, the, like, I think you're totally right. Like, as you can, it's like the great father son bit in Jaws. Right. Yeah. Like, and uh, like this one moment, like you barely see them spend any time together except this one moment at the dinner table. And you're like, that's what he's longing for. Like, this is what, this is the reason to return from hunting the shark is this one scene, you know? Yeah. yeah. And it's really, really beautifully done. And like Sugarland is a, is an awesome sort of mix of like slaps all verging on slapsticky comedy and real honest, earnest tragedy. Like it's really something that he balances these two forces so well. Like, I mean, in the later movies, he doesn't balance it so well, but in this one, he is like, he's right. He plays right down the middle. And it's, it's really something. I found it very interesting. Like in the, the, the sort of reading, uh, um, uh, easy riders and raging bulls is that, that the story of Spielberg in, in that, right. When he mm-hmm. arrived in, in LA and right. amongst all those group of people, because, he was he clearly he was very smart and a very talented filmmaker in some ways, but he was considered the non-intellectual, the geeky, yeah, the right, nerdy, right. right? The one the 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 he was he was like Toad in American Graffiti. Yeah, right? totally. They keep him around. Totally. Right. They keep him around because you know they're friends, but. He's the guy that gets kicked around like and just, oh, come on, you know, and just the story between Spielberg and Margot Kidder, who was like wanted to take care of him mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. showed him how to kiss a girl and stuff like that. Yep. Like that is kind of interesting to hear that about Spielberg. And, right. and, and he, at some point when he started to become successful, he was dating some like box and blonde or like, what are you doing, yeah. Stephen? You know, it's like, right. no, that's not what you do. And it was just kind of interesting to see that because he he tells stories very different everyone else was like i said very intellectual in some ways but they were referring to him as the director from the tv generation right, mm-hmm. right. 
I mean, and he was so, a TV director before he did this. He did, would did yeah. right, but the and other, like, but the right. other, but it's not just he grew up on TV. He grew up on TV, like right. so. So TV to him was was his dad in some ways, you know, right. and was his his scenario because I know obviously he had a hard relationship with his mom and his dad. He and, directed the first Columbo. He did Columbo. That's right. He did Columbo. He really? did Night Gallery yeah. for Rod Serling. Yeah, a bunch of stuff before he the first uh, Columbo ever he directed. Yeah. Yeah, he's, interesting. He's, well, the thing is, like, like Spielberg, which is actually I, good. Oh, yeah, Columbus, awesome, fucking wall to wall, dude. I love Columbus. Yep. Um, but yeah, the like, it's yeah, it's great that you point out like that. Uh, like his, because like in American Graffiti, when you bring up Toad, like Toad is a is not the standard nerd archetype because the standard yeah. nerd archetype is also very smart and, and very intellectual, and Toad is not. Like Toad is right. just sort of like a loser. Like he's a sweet gawky. <laughs> loser super bad yeah those super kind bad. of things right. big, you know mclovin kind of right and you and don't it's... get to see that yeah it doesn't it doesn't happen very often anymore in like now like now if you're the nerd like you're secretly brilliant and blah blah, blah all this stuff and i'm just like this is just like an out like he's just an outcast he's just an outcast and like i've always felt with it's awesome that you pointed out like spielberg is like toad it's because like all the other people in the circle right are super film intellectuals you know, right. Walter Murch, you know, Francis Ford Coppola. Like these are people that right. sit around that they would have a podcast like this yeah. and fucking cut everything apart, you know, and right. Spielberg, even when you hear like, and I'm not saying Spielberg is not dumb by any stretch of the imagination. No. Uh, but when you hear him talk just in regular interviews, he's not like, it's not like you're listening to Pauline Kale. Like yeah. he's a very regular guy talking about stuff he thinks is fun. Like he's not, yes. you know, he's not talking about highfalutin anything. And, uh, right. and, and, and that's the, like his visceral response to making a movie, like is uh, that's what makes his movies great. Like, I think that like his best movies are the ones that are, are script light, you know, where it's just mm -hmm. like, where it's just where he gets to fucking fuck around with a camera and make a scene like this. I mean, it's just like the guy is just incre incredibly good, you know? Right. And, uh, script light, script light, like yeah. Like when, like when, when he does movies where there's a lot of talking, it he starts having trouble managing how obvious stuff is. He yeah. has a little bit of a, you know, I don't know if this this works, but there's a little bit of an Altman influence in him, I think, sure. because he he does the thing where the conversations are overlapping are yeah. not in your face. They're right. overlapping and they right. feel distance. Like you hear a conversation, mm -hmm. like he's showing you a picture yeah, and then I love a slight it. conversation that yeah. happens around. And he does that in Jaws too. Like in Jaws around he the sets beach. Up worlds. You know? He's a world builder. Yeah. yeah. Both of these guys are definitely like actually both of them because yeah. the world building in American graffiti is unbelievable. It's, it's flawless. Like, that's like, <laughs> that is the example you need to do yeah. is like world building in American graffiti. Like, it, anyway, that's so, the kind of thing that people don't think of as world building because they think world building is doing the Avengers backstory flashbacks. Yeah, no, that's yeah. not, that's not what world building is about. Like feeling like you're part of something and right. you don't have to actually be part of any grand narrative at right. all. Totally. It's and that's tone. the thing you come out, you come out of that movie felt like you went on a trip down that journey in some yep. ways. Yep. Um, it's like you're, you're in the dream of that film, you know? And mm -hmm. I think that it's true. It's still true in Sugarland. Sugarland is like, is more, it, it's so goddamn huge. I couldn't even believe how big that movie was like, not just like the yeah. amount of cost, but the, like he really makes you feel <laughs> the distance and the changes in the locales they're in and the flavor of the people that are 
pay attention to them. They crash like, a lot of fucking cars. And they crash a lot of cars. That was yeah. a pretty big budget for. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's wild. It's, it's wild. a lot of cars were crashed in that movie. But yeah, you're right. It is totally Blues Brothers, though. It's Blues Brothers. It's yeah. totally Blues Brothers. And he's in Blues Brothers. <laughs> like he's the he's the Clark County yeah. assessor. Uh, that's the, right. But yeah, like I think that that's the like Spielberg is wait who is, Spielberg is a Clark County no, assessor. No, no, no. The uh, what's his name? The actor. Uh, uh, no, Spielberg is the, uh, is. Oh no, no, no! I thought Spielberg in Blues Brothers. It was the uh, oh, he's the, the Clark, Clark County. County. That's yeah, funny. That's right. Yep. And I thought you meant what's his what's his name. The guy Frank. that was in Sugarland. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, like that's the like one of Spielberg's few acting roles, and he's pretty funny. But yeah, it's the like I think that there's the TV generation thing is very interesting because like I like I feel the same way about Tarantino. Like Tarantino comes from the same like he's from the rerun TV TV generation, right? And so the structure of how his movies work because like his movies obviously everyone knows how much I love Tarantino movies, but his movies are like, uh, are less like movies and more like great episodes of television from the 1960s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's, that's the way he, point. that's the way yeah. he writes stuff, you know? And, uh, and that's why they're so dialogue intensive and so like structure based and all this kind of stuff. And I think that, uh, like Spielberg is, he's watching shit like Ben Hur on TV and then he's making a movie. You know, and so it's like right. he has this grand cinematic thing with his very intimate TV personal style. And I think that that's the real weird breakthrough with Sugarland is like if you're doing a movie that's that big, then you're then you're making a big, important Charlton Heston scale movie where everybody has very strong things to say and ideals they want to convey to the audience because it's important. And in this, it's right. that big and it's fucking Goldie Hawn. And she's like, well, I gotta get my baby back. <laughs> you know? and you're like, okay. <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, what I love about it is like she goes into okay, obviously she seems like she's got some crazy idea and it's hard to talk her out of it, right? But then after a while, she's just like, Well, we're just going on a road trip, kind of yeah. like while there's like 40 yeah. cars behind them with their lights on, you like, know, it, and it, she's like, got her little hairnet going. Yeah, because she has like, like she gives off the flavor of like uh because like you know, uh People may, may or may not know this, but like, like postpartum depression can make you yeah. actually that quite unstable. Like oh yeah, unstable. I worked and, with a guy that whose wife went through that, and yeah, it can be trying to take her life. Yeah, yeah, it can be really, it can be really, really bad. It's really, um, and I like, I feel like she's giving off those vibes in this movie. Like, she's so, like, anytime logic enters her mind, she pushes it away one hundred percent, and just like yep. we got to keep on going. Cause that's the only way I'm going to get my kid back. And you're like this, you know, this is not going to end well. There's just no way because she is like, like flat out choosing the bad idea. Uh, and, and uh, like immediate satisfaction of, I need to see my kid, uh, mm-hmm. is overwhelming any sense of logic that she has. Uh, and so the movie picks up a sort of a sadder and sadder and more desperate tone in its downtime as it goes forward. Uh, and it actually reminded me of two movies uh, kept up coming up in my head uh, as I was watching this. One is Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other is Cool Hand Luke. Yeah. Like the movie yeah. has a big Cool Hand Luke flavor uh, that I don't think I picked up on before, where it's just like you're so caught up in the fun and the joy of it that you don't notice 
how secretly sad it is getting. Uh, and so when it pulls the trigger, literally in the end, like you're sort of emotionally prepared, but immediately shocked that it's, that's gone off the rails as bad as it that's sadness is what you get out of a uh, perfect world. Yes. How it is. It influenced perfect world. Yeah, very much that's so. sadness, particularly when he was going up and you knew somebody was going to shoot him. Oh God, that movie. That is, I can't, that's another one where I can't believe it's not famous. I'm just like, that is like there's unforgiven and then there's perfect world. Like yeah, and, are, and I think it's one of Costner's best roles. Oh, it's incredible. Totally incredible. Incredibly fucking sad. Like that's like a that's a gut punch movie. Uh and it also has its weird sort of slapstick angle. Like it's like it has this very light, goofy cop story with Eastwood. Mm-hmm. And then it gets and it that sort of falls apart and as Eastwood sees how serious and bad this is getting. And so it But it, they're it, like that too. All those like hunters and all those yeah. guys there were just that's a great point. Sidekicks, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great point. Yeah, because like the the shot, like when spoiler alert, uh, the ending of Sugarland, like I had forgotten until the moment Atherton gets out of the car and starts walking towards the house, like, oh. like I was like, oh fuck, I remember how badly this shocked me when I first saw this. Yeah, like this is a, this is it's scary and it's sad and it's so directorially perfectly orchestrated because yeah. it's not just like, you know, take him pow, you know, like right. the guy is talking like the one sniper is talking to the other one and sort of like, she's like, well, I can get him, but it ain't going to be. And then he shoots him. And then as he's saying, ain't gonna I'll be get clean. the girl. And you're like, yeah, like, and he, so the whole scene is like offbeat. And so like, you're like, you're right. building up to brace yourself for when it happens. And then it happens before you're ready for it. And then he gets in the car anyway. And you're like, Oh no, <laughs> like, like everything. It's such a beautiful, beautifully executed disaster at that point that you forget all of the happy stuff. Like it's all gone. That's, right. It's wildly well done. And the, the way, thing that's really, the thing that's like, he is the most, the irony is that he's the one who was in jail, but he's the most innocent of all of this. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Right. Yep. And yep. she gets away with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, she ultimately gets the kid back. Yeah. She gets the kid back. She gets the kid back. She's like, what the fuck? And he dies. And he dies. And he dies. Yeah. That scene when he is, when, when he's like, when he's shot by, and I was like so angry. I was like, you don't need to snipe him. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. Cause why are cops sniping out people that are like, yeah, Texas it's all, it, justice, baby. It, well, like they set it up so well with the guy who's like, I mean, the guy clearly just wants to fucking kill these people. Like yeah. that the main cop is just like, let's get this done because then I'm, then I'm, I'm hunting my quarry, you know, I'm taking my prey right. down. And, uh, in the moment it happens, you're just like, this is very fucking weird. Like this should not have happened. Right. Uh, and, and when, uh, and when, when is, is bleeding out and the other cop is trying to hold the bandages on him and, you know, she's flipping out in the back. It's just like, that. that's the sort of like, that's the undercurrent of like things are falling apart that you get in seventies movies, the post Nixonian experience. Like, and it's just like this completely happy, fun experience is just fucking rotting and burning down in front of your eyes. Like, yeah, I forgot how impactful that was. Right. What really was also is the reaction of the people when they would drive through town. Yeah. Yeah. Reiterating the importance of family and, and 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 community that. Yeah. 
and then all, all of a sudden, you know, they, they snipers come in. Well, and like the way Spielberg handles this, uh, all those extras and how he directs, like all the old folks that are get involved in it, like it it's a feels, lot of work. It's a lot of work, and it like it feels really documentary. You know, like it feels mm-hmm. like it's like these are very real, real feeling people uh, coming in and experiencing the story with you. And even like the real, the old timers, they're just like, well, let me tell you, you know, it's classic Spielberg stuff, but it's like, it doesn't feel like a gag. Like it doesn't no. feel like shtick. It feels like this is some old codger they found. And they're like, you know, just keep talking. Do you know, <laughs> you know, it's funny. It's funny. You said, did, who, who brought up, um, who brought up Days and Confused? One of you guys did. Yeah, I did. But oh, Days and Confused, I said the name. Days and Confused actually has the same thing, right? Because it has all the young guys, right? Mm-hmm. And they're all like, you know, figuring out what they're going to do after high school right. or, or whatever it is. And then one of them's, you know, the football player. And then you see the old guy. That's a very Spielberg person. Yeah. That's like, well, you're going to be on the football team next year. And it's like, oh, wow. yeah. well, yes, sir. You know, and they, they're they doing the yes, sir conversation, right? Yes, yes, sir. Yes, a, sir. Yes, sir. And, like, and then I was like, yep. You know, and that was just something about that exchange. They're both kind of going from basically adolescence to real life to adulthood mm-hmm. in their own way yeah. you know yeah. and um they have all these choices to make you know what's the next thing and the confusion about it like richard dreyfus and atherton you know yeah like you know they're were very similar characters in my eyes you know and it was kind of a they were really trying to they knew they had to made a choice and they can kind of see the ending for each choice. Right. And, and she was egging him on to just do it because yep. it's their child. Right. And, um, but that's kind of like avoiding adulthood or sticking by it. Just like in um, diner, which I thought American graffiti to diner diner mm-hmm. pulled it everything where he's like, I'm going to have the baby and that kind of thing. So right. there was definitely you know, I'm making a choice, but they made a choice and everyone loved them for their choices, except they, he died. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Uh, a quick, yeah. a quick sign off to Mike. Thanks for coming, Mike. We see you got to take off, but it's awesome to see you in the chat. Uh, yep. <clears throat> and I agree with you about your Jaws comment. Everyone should do that in the chat. That's also excellent. But yeah, like that's the, like, that's the thing is like Sugarland is, uh, is very much like it, it does what I love best in movies is like, this is the reason why you, it rings a bell with you isn't because anyone's been chased by the cop by 40 million cops it's because it really this really feels like that transition from adolescence to adulthood like you have the this weight of the world bearing down on you and you're stuck one is sentimentalized and one isn't right you know and uh you know it gets sentimental uh but it's almost a fake because when they get cheered on they realize they're doing the right thing or they'll they always ask, like, when I'm, you know, what am I going to get for this? Like right. the audacity of Atherton to say, you know, I could do this job as a cop. They're like, well, I don't know. You have a record. But yeah. he's still naive. You know, he's still not knowing what the world, you know, the choices yeah. you make. And, uh, but yeah, there, it's, they kind of were set up like pinballs. Yeah. And maybe that's childhood, you know, or me going from adolescence to adulthood. You just got to keep going forward and it and right. you make choices, and then all of a sudden, those choices can be really bad, yeah. And and like, that's the have you know, you, have you guys seen Licorice Pizza yet? Not yet, I haven't seen it yet, oh, but man. I want to see that, man. Man, man, yeah, the Licorice Pizza does that 
that very thing, right? So like the, uh, the adult world of licorice pizza, like whenever you interact with adults in that movie, it feels very confusing and strange. And even yeah. though like one of the characters is 25 years old, she's still in that sort of like, I, you know, like people are, her family's pressuring her to get her, take her life seriously and get a real job and blah, blah, blah. But when it, either her or the, you know, the 15 year old guy, whenever they interact with the adults of the movie, like the adults are crazy. Like it doesn't make mm. any sense. The world doesn't make any sense. The only place that makes sense is right around them. Right. And, uh, and, and that's the, like, that's the feeling I get at Sugarland is like, as crazy as what they're doing is like emotionally, it feels like the only choice, you know, it's just like, well, shit, we already got a million cops chasing us. So what else are we going to do? You know, and, no, they, and they were feeling like it was almost like the encouragement of the people gave them a false sense of security. Yeah. The reality right. was that the big bad world was going to fuck them over. Right. Whereas in graffiti, the big bad world, like, yeah, it kind of seems like you see the, the thing about graffiti that I didn't like was that the big bad world never really struck them because when that car wipes out and they roll, they would oh, have been fucked up. They would more. have been dead. Well, they the thing was, is, it, fu it fucks them in the in the last moment of the movie with the with the text crawl, because like what two two or three of them die. Two of them die. Yeah, in Vietnam, right? and, two, and like, and it implies that Richard Dreyfus like survives. Uh, uh, well, and he's a writer living in Canada, which at that point means you he, ran he away from escaped, the war, and yeah, he, uh, he 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 quit America. And so right. like, there's a like the like it, it's sort of interesting. You're, I think you're right. Like they they keep it as this like little snow globe of it is you it's know perfect snow globe it's with, a snow you globe. Know, macho john wayne harrison ford right uh, at the end but it's nobody really they didn't make their decisions and pay for it on screen yes they yeah. they kind of delayed it and that is it and you leave and then they kind of say oh you know they died or this is what they did so, so you would have le le left off the tech stuff and just like have uh uh, what's her name? Not Penny Marshall, but the other one, uh, Cindy Williams, uh, die in the car crash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. think that would have been a better. If she had died in the car crash. That would have been a crazy movie, man. Yeah, but then yeah. you could still do the things at the end, um, because the thing at the end is is they only showed the men, right? Yeah. So right. they, you, it's fine in a sense because it was. It's like diner. These four guys in these mature choices and facing, you know, leaving adolescence behind and, and moving forward. Right. And sometimes it's heavy and sometimes, but I, I felt like if she had died, but Harrison Ford comes out like, holy shit. And yeah. he killed her essentially. Right. Um, it would have just had a greater impact because it's like, yeah, we're adolescents. We avoided making any decisions and here that we are through the night and here right. we are and whereas well, let's, let's go let's go through this synopsis a little bit so people understand the, the perspective of where they had to make that choice sure. because right. i think it's an important one um so there are this is a story of four people right mm -hmm. four boys mm -hmm. yeah am i right is it four stories it is four stories right yeah there's a uh, treat yeah. williams oh well, i mean like a, and it's not like it's like treat williams is sort of a, is has also has mackenzie phillips uh, right. And so that's, oh, thank you very much. I've just been handed a plate of food. I'll be, be ginger about eating that on, on mic. Um, but the, but the, so like, but it's still basically Treat Williams' story, 
right? You have um, Toad, you have uh, Ron Howard, and you have um, Richard Dreyfus. Richard Dreyfus, and then and and no, and you have the guy, the other guy, the yeah, um, the nerd, the guy with the hot rod, John. Yeah, no, the, oh, that's Treat Williams. Sorry, yeah, 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 that guy. Yeah, so it's Treat Williams, um, uh, Richard Dreyfus, played by Paul Le, Le, Paul Lamat. Is that am I mixing them up? Yeah, I was, I was just thinking when you say Treat, I was like, I, don't I, was, know. I, I like, have who's always... Treat Williams. It's Paul Lamat. Yeah. No, well, Paul, I, man, I've I've been mixing that literally my whole life. Because I literally was thinking, God, it didn't look like Treat Williams. He had a more sh- like a chiseled face when he was young. Oh, then no. that's I'm, I apologize to everybody for decades in which I thought that was Treat Williams. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> okay. Paul Lamat. Paul Lamat. I apologize to Paul Lamat for for right. uh, advertising that incorrectly. Uh, but yes, so, so let's, Paul let's, Lamat. Let, let's let's put a little perspective. These four people, they meet. It starts off. It starts off almost like a play. Mm-hmm. At the at the parking lot of Mel's Diner, right? Mm-hmm. These four guys show up. They're obviously all acquaintances in some way. Some of them are close friends. Some of them are more acquaintances. But they all know each other really well. And this is how they start off their journey off from from Mel's Diner, right? And so, which is kind of an interesting thing. So you start with Ron Howard and Richard Dreyfus, who are close friends, right? Um, you also find out that Ron Howard is dating. Uh, Richard Dreyfus's sister, right? And they're the hot couple of the, you know, he's the president of this. Right. Cindy of Williams this, and him are like famous yeah. for going out. Like everybody knows. Famous for going together. out. Like she's the captain of the cheerleading squad and, you know, like that kind of thing, right? Uh, and so they're very famous for going out and for being a couple. Uh, Richard Dreyfus and him are both going to go to college. And they got to get on a plane the next day to go to college. And they're debating whether they want to go or not. Or Ron, who, which one is debating? Rich it's Ron. Ha- Richard Dreyfus. Dreyfus yeah. Richard Dreyfus saying, I don't know if I want to go. Maybe I don't want to go. So he feels like he's scared to move away from the small town because of where they are. And then Ron Howard saying, no, no, you got to go. You got to go. Right. But what's interesting is that he goes to his girlfriend and says, I was thinking that, you know, while I'm in college that, you know, we should be allowed to see other people because it'll make our relationship even stronger, which is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, best. I know <laughs> the balls on that guy. Yeah, I was dude. like, wow. Yeah. I was wondering if I could right. string and, you along while I go and nail some other people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She goes, well, I can understand you're not a monk. And it was really funny the way she did a really good job of like, yep, yep sure. No problem. And you're like, oh, you're in so much trouble and you don't know it. It's like, yeah, yeah, no problem. <laughs> no, it's Go fine. I think it's people. a very adult decision. Care. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, so that's where the, those two stories happen. It's basically these two guys have a different perspective. Richard Dreyfuss doesn't want to go to college necessarily. And Ron Howard is excited to go to college so he can bang other girls, right? Uh, and then Toad comes along who drives a Vespa, who his, you know, his name, his nickname is Toad for a reason. And he's just kind of the goofy, dorky guy that's going on there, right? And then a fourth person is the older guy who's been in town forever. The Matthew McConaughey character. He's the Matthew Matthew McConaughey from Dazed and Confused, right? And he's got the hot rod, the fastest thing. Oh, and by the way, this whole thing takes place in the late 50s? Is that what it's supposed to be? Early 60s. Yep. Early 60s. Hot rod culture and cruising culture. Because they talk about Kennedy, so it's at least 61. Right. 
So, so definitely about that. And it's definitely cruising culture. Now, if you don't, cruising culture was huge in the United States. Not Chino cruising, a different type of cruise. A different culture. Right. Yeah, definitely. It's, and in fact, there are still signs on Sunset Boulevard that have an anti-cruising law that if they catch you driving up and down the street more than a couple of times, uh, you'll get a ticket. That's right. That's right. (laughs) So, um, uh, so yes, because otherwise it just causes big traffic jams and everyone's basically cruising is basically you go down the main street and you hang out and talk to people in cars while driving like five miles an hour. Right. And, and so like people like friends will get in your car, drive down the street, hang out, you'll pick up, uh, you know, pick up girls and drive down the street and blah, blah, blah. And you just go back and forth for hours. And this is all you do for hours. Right. Go to go to the diner, get something to eat and then go back to cruising. Right. This is what you do. You get into the car and you cruise. And it's just very strange. But yes, it was very popular at the time. I mean, anyway, I, so I, I sort of, I, I vibe with that just because like, I really, I was, I came very late to driving. I didn't get my license until I was like 36 years old. Uh, and I love driving. Like it turns out I love it. And like, I will just go out and noodle around like just to drive because it's so much. So when I watch this movie, I'm like, I just want to, I want to stop watching this and go drive nowhere. <laughs> yeah that's pretty much just driving it. around is yeah anyway it's it's interesting so it's really cool um so and then yeah so he's so he the matthew mcconaughey character uh is is uh uh is there too and he's got the cigarettes rolled up in his sleeve which is and the t-shirt sleeve which is also hilarious right um so then they sort of go all their separate ways as they're separate as they're trying to do what they're trying to do um, and they start cruising independently or with each other. And then they kind of split up into all these different adventures. The first adventure that takes place is with Toad, where basically uh, Ron Howard t- gives him the keys to his car. A sick saying, car. Take a sick it's car, which is like, yeah, it's like a big Chevy. And he goes, take care of this car while I'm in, co- while I'm in college. Right. And the Toad goes crazy because he's driving a, you know, a Vespa, Vespa. right? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And there's and this it's a big, huge, beautiful, beautiful Cadillac or whatever it is. It's big, like, beautiful little Chevy, Chevy. With, Chevy with, with like the, the, the fuzzy dice in the rear view mirror. Yeah. The fins, the whole thing. The high, whole thing. High polish. Yeah. yeah. High polish. And so he starts cruising and then everyone drives by and is like, I was like, oh man, are you driving this thing? What a wasted machine. But they're like, you know, make fun of him. But they clearly, he's like, nope, I'm special because I've got this car, right? right. He was I've McLovin, dude. I'm telling you, his, <laughs> totally. journey, exactly. his journey in yeah. the night was McLovin. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. 100%. Absolutely. But honestly, my favorite story is when the guy, the older guy with the, the Matthew McConaughey character, with the very beautiful yellow hot rod with the license plate THX one one three eight, right? Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, so good. You didn't notice that? Yeah, the license plate on the back of the hot rod is THX eleven thirty eight or one three eight, not right. eleven thirty eight. Yeah. Uh, so uh, he's driving around, and uh, he's chatting with a bunch of girls in the car, and they're all like, "Oh, nice car!" and goes. Hey, why don't you guys come and ride with me? Right. And he's like, no, I can't do that. I'm going steady with someone. I was like, oh, I'll go. You hear in the back, like someone say, I'll go. I was like, yeah, well, Jody's sister wants to go. I was like, sure, Jody's sister, aunt, whatever. Come on, we're Come on board. Yeah, right. Come on board. And so 
the girl gets out of the car, gets in, and she's like a very young teenager. She's like 13, 14. <laughs> like right. very young. Right. He's a little kid. And <laughs> little, little kid. kid. And he's like, oh, God damn it. Mackenzie like, Phillips, don't... too. Saddled yeah, with this and little kid. She, that, honestly, the story between the two of them oh, it's is terrific. my favorite story. Yeah. Like, it's and she's great. so good. Like she is, she so, is so charming good. and so good. Yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. She's, there are so many TV careers that came from this. It's unbelievable. She's uh, cause she goes on to, uh, uh, facts of the, life. Fact, no, uh, 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 no, no, with Valerie Bertinelli. Yeah. Well, once, what the hell is it called? One, one day at a time. One day at a time. One day at a time. Yeah. And yeah. she's, she's, uh, she's, she's one of these unbelievable natural talents. Like she's so like open and charming and everything like this, that you, you just like, she sets a level of reality for the movie that, almost nobody else can touch that you're just like yeah that's uh that that is a hilarious character and i believe she only exists in this universe <laughs> like it right. makes everything feel real it's amazing the and again this this film is unbelievable world building because you really get the sense of the characters and how they're all different from each other they're very different and they're all interacting with each other in some interesting ways. And they all have to sort of figure that out, right? Like they all have these strange pairings that happen as they go along, right? Ron Howard's story, ironically, is one of the least interesting ones. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. that's right. Uh, but It's very but, straightforward, but... It's very straightforward, you know, like, what am I going to do with my ex-girlfriend when I leave school? Right. Uh, uh, and so, uh, but, but this guy, this guy is like, ah. Oh. And you can see what's wonderful is that he's kind of a badass. He's supposed to be kind of like the badass tough guy, but he's dealing with a lot of shit. Like his life is just not really he's, put together. He's past his prime for where he's, he's at, right? Yes. And so he's, yes. the, he's Mickey he's the, Rourke in Diner. In, in Diner, right. And so like he's the like, he, uh, like unlike like Matthew McConaughey and Days to Confuse is one of the great characters of all time. But he is barely like he actually enjoys the fact that he's the weird old man. Like you can tell that he's just going to get creepier and creepier. And that's what he's just going to do. Whereas, um, right. not treat Williams is, uh, like, it, like you can, you can tell that he's like, I feel awkward. Like I'm the, I'm the adult in, uh, like a little kid landscape, but I really don't know what else to do. Like, yeah. and he feels lost. And so like, uh, going up against fucking Harrison Ford, Bob Falfa is the only thing he can do to prove that he's still part of the, you know, community. He's a legend that should have passed into. The, he should have been. He should have shamed out of there like years ago, and right. uh, and he has not yet done it. Well, I think what's interesting about it is that they, he and um, Matthew McConaughey actually both have similar lines, but the opposite in the film. So Matthew McConaughey says, "You know what I like about high school girls is I keep getting older and they keep staying the same age, right? Yeah, like that's right. his famous line from that right. that thing, right? Well." He says, "Man, girls are really going downhill. <laughs> it's like, like so good. <laughs> right? Because they keep getting younger, and he's just like, yeah, because you're you need to grow you're up, old. <laughs> right. Grow up, you're old. Yep. Right. And yeah. so he gets delivered the youngest girl in yeah. the car in yeah. that car, and this is hilarious to hang out with him because all the rest of the girls in the car that are like are you know like eighteen years old, like all those right. girls." You know, they're still too young for him. They know it, so they're making fun of him. They're just like, right. you're, you're a fucking old creeper. So here, take my sister. 
That's and crazy. Like, and it's, 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 it's and she is like, she's like, nope, we're going cruising. It's like, no, I'm going to let you out. It's like, nope, I'll yell rape. You know, like, it's like, you're like, oh God. And so she, he's stuck with her and he doesn't know, like, he can't pick up any girls because he's got this young girl in the car with him. Yeah, it's wrecking his and, night. It's making him feel even older. Like, that's like, yeah. that's the great thing is like this, like his relationship with her is an exaggeration of what he already feels. Like, he's yes. like, I feel way too old to be doing what I'm doing, but I can keep it. I can keep it in my subconscious if I don't think about it too much. And then Mackenzie uh, Phillips shows up uh, and then he's like, I am an old man. And that is a little girl. And now I feel like a fucking idiot. Yeah. <laughs> it's and then he like, you know, takes her to the drive and gets her like a Coke, like right. to, to shut her up. Right. Someone stops by, starts chatting with her. Like, Hey, what's going on? It's like, uh, I'm just uh, babysitting my cousin. And he's like, Plus babysitting and she got so pissed off at him and just like it was a scream rape it was so funny it's so so funny but the best part actually honestly my favorite scene is that these girls come by in a car when they're cruising and throw a water balloon inside their car right, right. and they and they miss him and get the the young Mackenzie girl Phillips. yeah Mackenzie Phillips and she gets wet they all start laughing at which point the two of them, they stop the car at the red light, they get out, and the two of them act like they're 13 years old. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. They they put uh wind, uh, they put uh shaving cream all over the car's right. windscreen, they take they take the air out of the tires, they basically vandalize the, the car that in the that middle of got, the street, well, where it's it, supposed to be driving. <laughs> right. <laughs> While it's there, and they're all just they're they're but they're acting like you know doing a prank on someone yeah. but he's totally going for it he's totally yeah. doing it and like yeah exactly they're having a really good time and, and, and they're like, having a great time and they're laughing and laughing yeah. and, and laughing. lucas is also like the camera's having a really good time like he brings yeah. the audience in on it it's like the music is having a good time yeah, so it's so funny it's so and you're you're in the moment with the two of them and that's the first like bonding moment they have where he's right. like i just had the most fun i've had in probably five or six years and it right. was acting like a fucking little kid with this little kid you know yep and 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 it was a par all part of the experience yeah um the other the other story that keeps going on about during this whole process <laughs> which is also this is the one that makes me, me feel a little awkward although it's an important scene at the end obviously is that everyone's like there's a big you know he's supposed to have the fastest hot rod in town and no one can beat him and everyone knows it right but there's this new guy in town that wants to meet up with him and he keeps coming up and it's harrison ford in another tr in another car right right he's like have you seen this guy tell him i want to talk to him you know and it's like okay all right but Harrison Ford's acting skills, as we said in this film, was not his best. <laughs> he was still like this. Is what what I love that Harrison, yeah, like he's he's a fucking he's some pot dealer they knew, and like they put him in the movie. That's basically what it was. Like he's like, in fact, like Janice, I think it's Janice Joplin told that story. She was like, you know, when she saw not maybe not Joplin, what was it? Uh, can't remember. Right anyway, when she saw Star Wars, she didn't know that Ford was in the movie, and she's like. That's my pot dealer. What the fuck is he doing <laughs> in this movie? Janis you know, Joplin. Not Janis Joplin. I'm, it's uh, Treat Williams. It's Treat Williams. Treat Williams. When he... <laughs> no, it's like famous singer of the time. I can't think of her name. Uh, Mamas and Papas woman? Yes, something like that. It's just like no, Cher. No, it's it's someone in the in the family of singers that I'm thinking of. In the Janis Joplin 
sort of creative tree. It's one of Joan Baez. Maybe. Yeah. Like anyway, she told the story. Joni Mitchell. Joni Mitchell. Like, like said, what the fuck? I'm watching Star Wars and there's my pot dealer. Like that's like, and that's, so that's who Harrison Ford was at that time. Like he was, that's he was hilarious. in, he was in that circle, but he was like, no one took him seriously as, as anything. But part of what's great about it is that not only is he, like, he's not just, he's not just bad in the movie where you're annoyed by him. Like, it's sort of funny that he's bad. Like he's kind of a cartoon, right? And, oh yeah. And, and he's not smart. Clearly. And he's a dumbass. Yeah. And like, and the fact that there's no way for them to have known this, the fact that it's Harrison Ford makes the movie work even better. Like right. here's the, here's like the dude who's going to come and like, it's like, you know, here's the fucking guy who drives the millennium Falcon is the guy who shows up to race you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> it's hysterical. Like it's, it's yep. so bizarre that that ended up being his life. Yep. 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 Okay. So meanwhile, um, Let's see what else is going on. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Toad's driving around and he is trying to, uh, you know, trying to pick up girls and it's not going so well <laughs> because it's Toad, right? But he does see this blonde woman or young lady who's getting whistled and, 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 uh, and harassed by guys on the street and she's walking along. And he tries to pick her up with some ridiculous line. And she's just sort of like, ugh. But then he says, oh, you know what? You remind me of this actress or whatever. And she says, oh, oh really? He goes, yeah, and I'm not just saying that. You really, you really, really look like her. You really look like her. And he's like, okay. And then so anyway, she ends up just getting in the car. It seems like people just got into people's cars. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's part of cruising. Right? Like, part of cruising, just, right? Like you're just, you're, you're basically, it's like the longest bar in the world. Yeah. yeah, people just hop in, hop the out. Longest the bar in the yeah. world. <laughs> so she gets into his car, and so he's like, "Great, so I got a girl I'm talking to, etc." And so he starts making up stories about his life to impress her. Obviously, about you know, I used to have horses. <laughs> yeah, the I kind of bullshitting them. that you do when you're an idiot kid. Like yeah. I'm going to get away with this. She's never going to know. <laughs> right. I used to have horses when I, but I had to sell them so that, you know, for hunting. And so I got this car and I also have a Jeep, right? Yeah. Like all these. And, I, and, I, hunt bears. <laughs> and I hunt bears. <laughs> I hunt bears. That's right. So was, I forgot about hunting the bears. Silly. Yeah. <laughs> it's completely ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> but then, um, but then she starts pushing him to like, yeah. All right, well, let's go get, you know, go to the drive in. And then she goes, I bet you're a really smart guy, like the kind of guy who can get some booze. <laughs> See where her mind's at. Right. And what's, like, what's great yep. about her is like, she's really charming, like super charming in this. And like, and she's really, she's really a nerd. Like, she is like, yes. She, like to Toad, she looks glamorous, but they put just the right kind of, I don't know, little touches on her character that make you go, no, she's the toad of her world. Like she's Kinda, like yeah. she, she's a little outside. She's not like Suzanne Summers or you know any of that any of that crowd. She's not in with Cindy right. Williams. Like she's the weird girl, and they, they don't they don't hammer it too hard. They don't like give her weird glasses or anything like that. Like they let her right. be very nineteen fifties pop looking, but at the same yeah. time you're like 
she is exactly the kind of person who might give Toad a break because she's kind of Toadish herself. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah, she was really well done. Really well done. But Toad is like, you know, he'll do whatever to keep this going on, right? Like, he is dedicated. He's the luckiest he's ever been. Ever. As luck as he's ever been. The car all. and then the girl. The car yeah. and the girl, right? So we'll catch up with him a little later. Meantime, <laughs> uh, Ron Howard and his girlfriend are driving, and uh, um, they're cruising along. And then Richard Dreyfus is in the backseat. Richard Dreyfus drives a, a Dechevo, which I don't know if you guys know what a Dechevo is, but it's a no. French a French car that is uh, made of tin. <laughs> like, it is, <laughs> That's awesome. It is. It, it is a pretty. Is yeah. It's a really crazy little car. Uh, but, uh, so, uh, so that's not really something you go cruising with. Let's just put it that way. Mm -hmm. You need a bigger, big American car to go cruising with. Uh, so anyway, but so he's in a back seat of, uh, the car. So he's the third wheel situation with the two of them. Mm -hmm. And the two of them are obviously fighting, uh, because of the situation of Ron Howard wanting to sleep with other women while he's in college. Mm -hmm. And, uh, while that happens, a white T-bird drives by with a very attractive blonde woman in there who is played by Suzanne Summers, who Dan didn't realize. I did not realize. Yep, yep. It was Suzanne Summers. I've, I'm and so she, wrong on this cast. It's amazing. It's the wrongest I've ever been about a movie. Easily. Right. <laughs> but she basically uh, looks at him and whispers something or says something through the glass. And he's like, what? What? Follow that car. Follow that car. And they're like, what car? Like that blonde, that T-bird. Follow that T-bird. And you know, that, doesn't happen. So he is now obsessed with following, finding this T-bird. And we also Great. have to say that like, the, like Richard Dreyfus is such a breakout star from this movie. Like yeah. he is so much fun, so charming and so full of life in this movie. Like yes. he is the opposite of the grouchy old crotchety bastard. He became <laughs> like, he just like, yeah. is, but his voice is the same the whole time. The same. His voice in this movie is the same voice that he had in every other movie. That exactly. Did, right. Like, yeah. Like in jaws, he sounds, he has a little gray in his beard, but he's exactly the same. Right. Which jaws wasn't that much. It was only four years after yeah, this. Yeah. If you think about it, Richard Dreyfus in this film and Richard Dreyfus in Jaws is only four years difference. And he plays a middle-aged man in Jaws yeah, and a high school kid in yep. this film. And he looks like a high school kid in this he film. He looks like a high school kid. Yeah. 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 But, he, but he's got such great fucking energy in this movie. Uh, yeah. And it's just like, like, you can't help but love this kid. It's just so much, so much fun. So much fun to hang out with him. And he's the only one who has sort of like any sort of outside perspective on life at all. Like everybody else right. is very, he's the smartest person of all of these people, yeah. but also the one that gets in the most trouble, like <laughs> yeah, by a lot. It's, it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> like he's the one who's like, what's the meaning of life? Oh shit. I'm in. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> totally true. Yeah. yeah. Which is he, really, he goes on a really radical funny. adventure. It's very funny. He does go on a radical adventure. I love stories like this. This is the best part because he's following all four of these stories as they're going along and they're all very different. And like his story is like, oh shit, what's going to happen? Yeah. Because like, I mean, I agree that the Ron Howard, uh, Cindy Williams story is like, it's a little, it's one note, but like they don't hit it too many times. And it's usually, it's so it intersects with another story. You know, like it intersects with the. It helps story. them connect the two stories exactly. Like, like they they right, sort of bebop yeah. around between these things, and it makes it makes it yeah. make sense. Yeah, yeah. They don't overspend uh, those characters. Like they like they're they're 
there's not a lot to say with them, but they don't annoy you with those characters. Mm. No. No, 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 no. But it Absolutely really not. would have, if she had passed, that's his oh, sister. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I agree. made his flight out of there. So I never different. thought of that about that before, but I think that that's, that's probably the He would never have left. That's the thing. One of them needed to leave the town. One of them right. needed to leave town. If she had died, none of them, they would ne- neither of them would have left town. Yeah, you, you leave. It's true. But like it, that so, note, yeah, like it need, I, I, I love it the way that it is, but I, I can see the allure of like, if you have that car crash go really, really badly wrong, then uh, end it in a much more, you know, then it would leave real. you. The, yeah. Then it, it's well, real life. It's not, right. you're not, you're a outside the bubble. You're like, yeah, you step outside yeah. the bubble. Right. That's true. It's called wake up. You're, you're an adult. Yeah. Cause I mean, like it's like in the end of um, uh, Dustin Hoffman, uh, the graduate, you yeah. know, it's like, it's not like there's no death in the end of the graduate, but it definitely like you cross the line into the real world at the last 30 seconds in the movie. And suddenly you're like, Oh no, this is bad. <laughs> like all the fun I was just having. It's done. That's done. Right. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Like, I think that they could have been a great button on the end of their, uh, on the end of her story that would have been sort of like provided that extra kick. I agree. Yeah. But yeah. they both as directors don't, I always find Spielberg endings to be um, short. A little bit. Mm-hmm. It's, it deals with fantasy in a way. And he wants the happy ending. He does like, because, you know, yeah, yeah. but there's yeah. no lesson then. It's not real. Well, that's the thing is like, I think he, like, I, I, I don't, it doesn't matter to me whether a movie has a happy ending or a sad ending. Like if they're, if they're earned, then it's going to work. Right. Um, but Spielberg has many times sort of resisted the sad ending to project a fantasy happy ending when mm-hmm. it's obviously leading a different way. And, uh, and, that, and so some of his output in like the eighties and stuff like that, like you hear that weird wrong note at the end, um, that sort of, when you walk out of the movie, you're like, meh, that didn't, didn't land. Cause I think he's afraid of the thing that, you know, Coppola totally embraced. He's like. You kill Fredo. Like you don't save Fredo. You kill Fredo. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry it hurts, but that's the point. Yeah. That I like those type of movies mm-hmm. where like there's a real message. And and you know, I, I would have liked to have seen graffiti with that type of ending, but at the same time, it fueled all these types of television shows where people just want to see happy stuff. Sure. It's Vietnam and everything. Right. But it is a coming of age story where you, know, you have to make adult decisions. I saw big parallels. I, I could be wrong, and most of the time I am. But uh, between um, the cop in Sugarland mm-hmm. and the faux Treat Williams character in uh, in Graffiti, <laughs> I will never live that down. But yes, I agree. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, it was, it was really this... his journey. You know what I mean? Right. It was his journey. Like right. he just, the cop just kind of was thrown into this. And at the end, yeah, it's almost he, like, like in platoon, uh, what's his name in platoon? He was just mm-hmm. a witness and right. that was his arc, you know, that was his right. thing. And, um, and yeah, his, like they've, they've managed to sort of live their life in a way that they're, they felt they were going to get away clean and they don't, you know? Right. And so there, there's this, that's the real, like the tragedy, yeah, I agree with you because with sure, life sure. deceived them, they got deceived. And yeah. when that house scene was the best, because and he was like, Look, it's too quiet, something is going on, yeah. And um, 
Yeah, well, in fact, when you when you, when you put it when you put it that way, that's what really to switch gears to Sugarland. It's just like that's what makes that movie so horrifying to me. That that scene so horrifying to me is because like here's the thing that you want. It's a beautiful house with a baby. It's in there with a baby, but right? you're being deceived, and that's and, adulthood. And you, you want to get you want that thing. And you try to approach it, and you get completely blown away. That's yeah. right. That's a really. I never thought about it in that context. That's really brilliant. That's the best part of the movie. Yeah. Everything else too. is like you know um, the buildup of the world, you know, with the lights and all the cars down the highway and the people and all that stuff. It's Spielberg being Spielberg, pardon me. But the reality is that was that, and I swear my hand to God, probably Clint Eastwood making Perfect World said, I want to make a little bit of Thunderbolt and I want that tension Mm. of them driving around the house looking for the baby. Yeah. And they nailed it. Yeah. They nailed it. Down to the gut wound uh, and everything. And that's basically it. And um, it's uh, it's great filmmaking. I could never make a movie like that. It's just, but well, there's something about those movies that you're listening in particular, like it's with Thunderbolt and like uh, Perfect World. Like I really, how I miss movies about. This is going to sound really right wing. I'm not right wing. I miss movies about America as a concept, like yes. that are, that, where it's just like Thunderbolt and Lightfoot is like there's a. That's Earth. my, by the way, not to go down the path of Eric, but that's what my show is. It's an American right. story right? of you contrast, know? the American dream and the kind of the lunacy of it all too. Yeah. There's a trend. You know? There's the, a tremendous sort of aching feeling at the heart of this kind of a story where you're just like, there's a beauty that's over here and you're back here. And can you, can you get there? And the tension of it is, is uh, what, makes makes you anxious it's beautiful but it's anxious beauty and uh and i think that like like it's like there's there's almost no sadder ending in the world to me than thunderbolt and lightfoot like yeah it made made me cry as a kid and i still makes me cry that that i have to be careful talking about it because i will cry talking about it like i can feel it i can feel it right here like don't think about that too hard because it's too heavy and like the uh and that and you know uh chimino is between that and heaven's gate and uh uh, Deer Hunter are like such a perfect triptych of. He also wrote Magnum Force or whatever. <laughs> Magnum Force is true. Yeah, it's true. I mean, he was yeah, something else. A silent no, Running. Just watched, silent Running. Yeah, you just pointed out Silent Running, and like there's like he is the great. He was the greatest at that sort of like heartbreaking, un uh, like un uh, unself aware heartache uh, is what he nailed, and I think that's right because like Spielberg and Lucas like both approach that in this movie Spielberg gets a little great piece of it at the end. Like he builds it up and he lands it correctly in this movie um, in Sugarland. Um, but he is afraid of it later on, you know, in many of his other films, great. One of the great filmmakers of all time, but you can feel him take the, the foot off the gas in a, a couple of key moments that you're like, you should have just kept it there. Should have kept pressing. And, uh, and sure. Well, he became just... a celebrity mm-hmm. and, you know, in, and I think, um, you know, Spielberg became a celebrity, but he probably fought internally to try to just do, be like his pal Scorsese or De Palma is a good buddy of his, who were always reaching to make movies. I don't like De Palma movies, but he's an artist. Reaching. He's an artist. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I, I get why people that. love his stuff for sure. 
and uh, and to hear him talk, I love interviews with DePaul. Oh, he's a scholar. He's a total scholar, like Bogdanovich. But Mm -hmm. those type of movies are masterpieces. If you can just make one Thunderbolt or one Perfect World, you're done, dude. Yeah, fucking paint and teach and do whatever. So I mean, kind of what you're saying is that what Spiel, like Spielberg is way more successful at being a filmmaker. So he's made some of my favorite movies of all time. So I'm not. I'm not he's a corporate filmmaker, which is not a negative connotation. Yeah, like he's but, he's extraordinary, and he and he does like uh, like Scorsese always talks about it in terms of like smuggling what you want to make into the corporate message. You know, it's just like the corporate movie is the thing you're making, but you want to make the secret movie within the movie, and he does that quite often. Uh, but at the same time, I think what you're what you're saying, I think, is really fascinating. Is that him and Lucas both kind of they get it so right early on, and then later on they they kind of fall off the train. Yeah, because you know? they believe the magazine articles about them, yeah, which isn't a, a bad thing. You know, I, I've said this before on the show, like um, when Christ it was years ago. But uh, Nancy and I were invited to the Dakota to hang out with um, Albert Maisel. And mm. we spent about four Maisel hours talking yeah, no. films in his place where they shot the movie um, Rosemary's Baby. Mm-hmm. And that's where the crib was. And we're in yep. that room. It was mind-blowing that's, for me. That's awesome. And he <laughs> was talking because awesome. he was friends with, and it was right around Bowling for Columbine or one of those. Mm-hmm. And... Um, he basically was saying, you know, his friend was Michael Moore. And he said, you know, Michael, um, he says, you know, my docs are super successful and they make a lot of money. And they've made me kind of the head of this all new way, you know, of artists making documentaries. Mm-hmm. And he said, I told Michael Moore, I said, you know, McDonald's sells billions of hamburgers a year. It doesn't make them the best hamburgers. It just make them chefs. <laughs> so he it, and right. it's like, and then I just always think of that comment because you know, and I worked for like Melvin, but he was the same type of artist. It's like mm. he made some good shit, and then he worked on Wall Street for years, and you know. But do you want to make a great burger, or do you want to just be McDonald's? I'm not condoning McDonald's because it's spreading out. And I think maybe that was the conflict of Lucas more so sure. than Spielberg right. that, you know, what hat do I wear? And as somebody who is a traditional artist, plus I'm a digital artist, plus I write and I've made films in years, shorts. But the point is, it's really hard to put both on at the right. same time. And I always felt that Spielberg and I've read I have books on him, you know, the interview books on all of those guys. It's just that he had trouble like I would of holding that hat. And mm-hmm. that's why I respect the guys like, well, I made some great movies like Shimino. He fucked up a little bit and then he just goes on. Yeah. Because it's no, like, yeah. why? Because you can't make great films forever. Right. There's something about the, the energy and being able to deal with all that stuff and get your vision out and uh, all the well, things. Yeah. Like, Cause I think it's like, we talked about, it's like when we were talking about, uh, um, uh, Orson Welles when we did Mank, right? It's like Orson Welles, like to me, his his worst movie is Citizen Kane. Like, yeah, it, it's Amberson's a great movie. Amberson, like every movie after that gets way more. Like every movie after that consecutively gets more interesting to me. You know, like I like I like his, the the stuff I like best is the stuff that he made like in the years before he died. 
like yeah. you know like uh chimes in midnight and like all that's like all that stuff like where he's just completely through the gauntlet like he's he's through the ego corporate gauntlet you know he, he he's never going to get that time back so he's just free to do whatever the fuck he wants you know no money but he's he's still doing it like you mr arkin and stuff like that where it's just like jesus christ this is way more inventive than kane i had and, read an article uh not like four years after Orson died that he met with Spielberg at the Ivy in the early eighties after ET. And he asked him if he could put some money up so he can finish a film. And he's like, no, I don't want to waste, you know, I'm going to be throwing my money away. And I always thought about that. Like, that's weird. Why would you, you ever do that? How could you see touch of evil and think that like, how that's you, right. And you know, like, that's after shit. ET. Yeah. So he had fucking dough and it's yeah, just well, like, it's, yeah, here's well, a million bucks to it. I love you. Yeah. You know, like no, just, he, just he was like, no, he, he couldn't Christ wait. To, apparently, he couldn't wait to get out of that luncheon. That's biz- that's bizarre. I, I I don't know. I I don't know Spielberg in the slightest. He seems like a nice guy every time I oh, see he's him. A, yeah, I'm yeah. sure he's a really nice not, guy. But and, you know, I'm man, sure at that point in his life, his ego was big. Right. It doesn't mean he's a horrible person. It's just that, you know, that was that he, was universally people's feeling about Wells though at that time, which I find. Of totally course. But yeah. They, they, yeah. They, but it's just like, okay, here's some money, dude. Where, where's Lucas change the world. Lucas does go and uh, pay for Kurosawa's movies. Yeah. Like, he brings Kurosawa, you know, to massive recognition with, uh, in the United States with like brings him entirely back. Cause he was obviously very famous in the sixties and stuff like that, but like entirely brings him back with Kagamusha and Ron and all that stuff. Like his second wave, uh, Kurosawa is one is because of Lucas, yeah. you know, so here's, he, here's yes. And you are hundred percent right. Both you guys. I just feel at that certain point, how much effing money do you need? Because apparently if you keep wanting more, you'll end up dissatisfied as an artist like Lucas, Yeah, you know, and yeah. it's like, okay, I got enough that all my family is comfortable because honestly, it's like, I don't know. I think, I think you know what? I, I, we don't know. I don't think it's Lucas saying he wants more money. I think Lucas was going through, uh, you know, we don't know what he was going through, but he was going through a lot with his family and everything else. And maybe he just needed to feel safe and secure. And that was the way to do that. No, no. I'm to, just to, saying in general, as they got older, like, you know, as they got older, <clears throat> they made so much billions. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, how much more money do you need as more of a reference to uh, not giving to Wells? Do you know what I mean? It's just like, you know, just give him the money, dude. I mean, it's holy moly. It's yeah, well, like, I mean, well, certainly with, like, with Lucas. It would be an honor. If I had oh, the cash, yeah. I'd be like, dude, are you kidding me? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just as as just in the scratch ticket mentality, just like, I mean, the dude made Trans and Midnight for like 70, like whatever, like a million bucks. Like you just give him the fucking money. Just give him the money. But like the... Um, with Lucas, American Graffiti was made for six hundred thousand dollars, and it made two hundred million dollars. Mm. Yeah, um, it's a huge, yeah, you know, ginormous hit, as they would say. Just like that is such a like, like Lucas, like Lucas is a much more intellectual filmmaker than Spielberg is, and I think that that's what happens that's, when you see it. That's ironic, right? Right. You know, I mean, considering all the films that that Spielberg did, like Schindler's List and absolutely Munich He's, and everything else, right. and fucking Lucas made Phantom Menace. Yeah, the, I mean, this, the irony exactly. is crazy. 
it's it's really wild because like you know, like for instance like Coppola like comes comes back and makes a, some really interesting art experiment movies much later in his career like Tetro and Twixt and uh, Tetro is yeah Tetro's Tetro's pretty great you know and uh, like he he tries to come back around to like I I'm I love being an artist and I I have the money I'm gonna do what I want right um. And, uh, and then there's Wells, obviously, who like, he's like, I don't have any money, so I'm going to do what I want anyway. But with Lucas, I feel like he spent most of his life holding his fire after Star Wars. He's like, because he would, he would talk about it just like, well, you know, one day I'm going to just retire to my, you know, my, uh, ranch and I'm just going to make all these little movies myself and, and make what I want. And he just never seems to have done that. Like yeah. he was a- afraid of, like he he has, he has it all. He I think has he's afraid that he couldn't do like he couldn't get back to, because he didn't he try to do some, uh, uh, uh airplane, World War Two film. Didn't he, he do that? He produced. Uh, yes, he produced. Um, uh, yeah, what was it called? Charlie's yeah, Angels, the movie. With Bill yeah, Moore? like no. he has produced a couple of movies, but like like they they have this weird, uh, artificiality to them. Same problem that um. Uh, Phantom Menace and the, those movies do. Where I'm like, he's so like Phantom Menace and the, that trilogy feels so disconnected from humanity. But Jar Jar Binks is cool. Oh God, yeah, like Red <laughs> was, Red like, Tails. It Red was Tails. called Red Tails. Red Tails. And I don't think it was any good, but yeah, like he, like I wonder if, like, it's like how people speculate about, um, um, uh, what do you call it, um, JD Salinger, like. You know, like there's he secretly wrote a shitload of novels that he never published. Like I would love it if the end of Lucas's life, he's just like I've actually just been making stuff on my ranch for the past forty years, and now you can see all that stuff. I just didn't want to go through the critical hell of fucking dealing with you fans because it stinks. You know, I would I would love that. That would be great. You know, because like you see American Graffiti, and you're just like that dude could make a fucking movie. Like he was he is as good at handling. that like you're saying, Chris, world building, and because like we were saying, like world building isn't information; it's tone. Like it's a right. flavor; it's a pervasive flavor that makes you feel like the world is bigger than the frame. He and he does it in Star Wars too. Yep, absolutely. Especially Star the, Wars is the beginning. Like when you go walking around Tatooine, there's like this kills is it. a world it. Yes. that I am is both familiar and strange, yeah. and I'm invested into this yeah. world and the bar like come on i mean it let's just put real. it this way that that bar scene mm-hmm. right the cantina the cantina is famous mm-hmm. and there's no backstory everyone invented Nothing. backstories no nope. but there's no backstory going on there right, right? it's right. all about that world you walk into it and that is you can do world building and, one and you can, scene you can feel no the story. Exactly. You can feel all the stories. Like it feels like there's stories with everybody here, you know, yeah. when re- in reality, they're and those like, stories are in your mind, in your mind. And, You're the one yeah. who's telling the stories. That's what, like, this yes. is but great world building lets the audience do the building. Yeah. Right? No, and because you like, know what you got to do is when you've got to go to rogue one and in rogue one, you got to make sure you see the guy from the cantina who's going to oh, show up on the other film. Like, the thing is, so like, that you can see, like, I really, I really do love rogue one. I think it's a great movie, but it is like, it still had to play a ball within the fucking the star canon. Wars, Wikipedia, you know, the, uh, the, the star Wars, Wikipedia, just like, fuck, stop. Why, why do they do this? Why do fans love this? Man, like I, I'm confused. Like, like I, like 
going and they watch American Graffiti and you're like, I feel like because that's what they think world building is. Oh, it's the opposite. It is the dead opposite. Like I know American Graffiti. I hate to say it, we're in the minority though. I know it's fucking. It's such a drag, dude. It's 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 unbelievable to me. Like it's like you should be able to relate this at least to uh, people in terms of like video game design. Like the trick of video game design is making you feel like the world that you're in goes on forever when literally physically we cannot deliver that. <laughs> like like it has walls. Like we are corralling you and putting you on rails. We don't want you want to feel heroic, and so we're gonna make it feel like you have all the control of the world. But actually, we're massaging this journey the whole time. And the way you do that in movies is by, it's like you're saying in the Star Wars Cantina, it's just like what the reality of that day is they're like, let's go to the, let's go to the, uh, let's rent some costumes from Universal Costumes. Like, here's a werewolf guy. Okay, put him in there. What else we got? And just pack him into a fucking bar, shoot it, and we'll shoot it as if this is normal. And that's it. Nobody sat down and yeah. said, like, the history of the hammerheads is this. Type, 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 type. <laughs> Like never happens. And yeah. like, and so you look at like, and that's the one thing I will say about Phantom Menace and the other two is that those feel as shitty as those movies are, they do have a, a world beyond the frame quality that later Star Wars doesn't have at all. Like, mm. like that. And it's the, it's the thing that Lucas is absolutely the best at. And, uh, and I feel, I feel like maybe him, and Coppola, the thing beyond the frame, yeah. The thing beyond the frame, and like, like there's, yeah. like, uh, him and Coppola were the true geniuses of. That. I think that like Spielberg is a better innate filmmaker. Like he knows how to, he knows how to shoot, to edit. He knows how to build a dynamic scene. He knows how to block better than any of those guys. Yes. You know? uh, and like he is like Spielberg is more, uh, like because I just watched The Godfather. The Godfather is brilliant on every single level, right? But there's no single scene in the Godfather, which is as good as the great scenes from Munich, right? Like Godfather works because Coppola builds the world so deeply and so realistically uh, that you can't escape it. Right. And so everything you're just living in this environment, whereas Spielberg's like, he is the, he's a magician, you know, and he's like a stage magician and he's, he's only concerned with what you're looking at. And how to make this work for you immediately. And uh, and he's brilliant at it. But like I look at Lucas and I'm just like, this is the genius who never got to be the genius. Like all these other guys got famous, all these other guys that did incredibly well, uh, and are super respected artists. And here's George Lucas, and he's the punchline of movies now. I'm like, that's sad. This dude yeah. was great. Interesting yeah. point. Yeah. Like it's, what, uh, what a, what a talent. Incredible talent. Yeah. Well, let's go through, let's go through uh, uh, Dreyfus's story. Cause last time we left off, he was basically kicked out of the car and he's walking around on foot, which is also very interesting. He has no one around and he's just looking for a girl with a T-bird. Right. And he's having a hard time finding anything. He ends up uh, staring at TVs in front of a store um, where he's just sort of looking at them and he's sitting on a car looking at them. Uh, three guys show up, sit next to him and they ask him what he's doing. And they ask him if he knows a guy named Gil. 
And I was like, no, I don't know him. He's like, you don't? Well, you're sitting on his car. <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. Uh, you know where this is going. And they're all wearing these jackets that say the Pharaohs on them, right? So they're all in this, obviously in this this gang called the Pharaohs. And so he gets off the car and There's tries to no walk away. No, no, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so he's trying to walk away, and they're like, "No, no, no, no! Come here, come here for a second. And he's like, "You see that? You see that? There's, there's a scratch on there. You left the scratch on the car." And they're like, "Oh shit! Like you know, this is going to go badly, right?" And so they're basically like holding on to him and like stuff him in the back of the car, and he doesn't really know where he's going to go. But he's like, "I'm, I'm stuck with a bunch of hoodlums, and they're going to take me on this wild ride," which they do. <laughs> They end up uh, stealing uh, money from an arcade, which who happens to be owned by his uncle. <laughs> and one of my favorite little gags in that is when they leave them. Like at this point, like he has started to facilitate what the pharaohs do to avoid getting beaten right. up. Like he's making right. it easier and easier for them to steal shit and, and do bad things. And they right. start like, and they're treating him like, oh, you're actually cool. We're going to beat you up. But now it turns out you're good enough to be a pharaoh. Yeah. Right, and he's like, yeah. "I don't want to be a pharaoh." <laughs> and like so, <laughs> like after he gets sets it up so like they can sneak in and rip off the uh, the pinball the arcade, and yeah. uh, Dreyfus goes into the back room where you know his uncle's thanking him and all this stuff. Did you get the check that we gave you that the uh, the Moose Club the scholarship gave you for, for scholarship? scholarship? <laughs> you know, and then he's gonna then, make a good Moose Club. And the, well, it's a back to back line. The dude and the pharaohs goes, "You know, you might make a great pharaoh one day," and it cuts to. He's going to make a great moose someday. (laughs) That is fucking phenomenal. It's it's so, so good. These weird little, little sort of uh, uh, clubs, you know, like everyone wants to be a part of a little family and the pharaohs are their own weird little family. Yep. But he's he's true. You were right though. Dreyfus is pretty much the bet, the standout of the movie. Oh, he's so, he's like, he's such a find. It's insane. It's incredible. Yeah. Uh, and and then the next thing they're going to do is they're going to vandalize a cop car, which is like, oh, my God. And they make Dreyfus vandalize a cop car. It reminded me of the story of you and your brother, Eric, with the fireworks. <laughs> it's uh, like, oh, shit. <laughs> I saw uh, a lot of those moments in my life, my friend. <laughs> yeah. But basically what they decide to do is they have Dreyfus sneak around back. While the cops are sitting in a car in a parking lot waiting to bust people, this is what the cops are doing, right? And so they have Dreyfus go around, sneak around behind the cop car, tie a winch to the rear axle of the car, and then connect the the, the chain or the cable or whatever it was to a post, right? And then they get him back into the car, and then they take off, uh, the pharaohs take off, they yell some obscenities to the cops, the cops get in gear, take off. And a great, great scene where you see the rear axle of the cop car just explode off the back. It was was crazy town. They did end up basically getting away with it. Uh, But he has to figure out how to get away from the pharaohs. I I forgot. How did he get away from the pharaohs? Or did he just walk away? They said goodbye. Yeah. Yeah. It's a a very. Oh, right, right. It's like, we'll see you tomorrow or something. At which point. That was the thing. That's right. They'll say, we'll see you tomorrow. And then you can be a pharaoh, whatever. He's like, great. And to me, what was funny is that he's been thinking the whole time how he wants to stay in town. It's like, oh, shit. The only way I'm going to get out of being a pharaoh is if I go to college. That's the decision. <laughs> like, that's when it flips for him. right? You know what I mean? 
I yeah. think that's when the decision flipped for him is that he had to do that, right? Yeah. Uh, but but uh, but at which point he's still trying to find a girl with a T-bird, right? And right. He's, he even asked the pharaohs if they know them. That the, 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 ah, that's not, you know, she's a she's a hooker. She's still out of your price range. No, she's not a hooker. Someone else says, like, it's the jeweler's wife. It's, yeah, it's like, the, they, yeah, like all this. Like, she's mythological. She's point. a mythological character. Like, he can't can figure out who she is. Uh, but he figured like the only way I'm going to find her is if I am going to uh, get uh, a message on the radio to her because you, everyone's listening to Wolfman Jack, to Wolfman Jack and Wolfman yeah. Jack is a very, very, very famous DJ right. in America. Very famous. He's a very, very identifiable voice. And on the radio, you hear just like, and everybody is, everybody in the movie has myths about Wolfman Jack. Like, oh, yeah, he actually broadcast Wolfman Jack. Wolfman Jack was broadcasting illegally. Right. So, well, he used to in real life. Yeah, pirate radio. Yeah. They had a really powerful antenna in Mexico that would broadcast for hundreds of miles um and that's where he he, he everyone listened to the wolfman uh, especially P- southern states california uh, uh mexico etc cetera, et cetera. um so yeah he was kind of a he kind of a big deal so he's trying to find how do i get a message to wolfman and there's a substation that's out of town and they're like you know you know i can go see there maybe he knows how to get in touch with the wolfman to right. fit, get him a message and but so he the, the guy, it, like the guy's just like, uh, he's a radio, the radio jack is there. who basically says, I'm just a technician that plays tapes of the Wolfman. Right. right. Now, of course. And then he offers him, he offers him, uh, 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 popsicles because the refrigerator broke. Right. And then exactly. So like popsicles. it's this disappointment in finding out the myth is, is not real. Right. Yeah. The Wolfman is just some guy who hands him a bunch of tapes and then right. he plays the tapes. He plays. Now, of course, the secret sauce of the movie is. That guy actually is Wolfman Jack, but he doesn't want anyone to know it. Right, right. So, like, it's like the movie is saying, like, ah, oh, see, the myth isn't real, and you have to learn to live with reality. Actually, that right. is real. <laughs> that, is, that is the Wolfman. Well, we all know that because we know what the Wolfman looks like. Yeah, exactly. But, so, like, uh, that's that's the great sort of like the, I think there's a secret meaning in that where it's just like the movie is is often about popping the bubble and, and disappointment, right? And then. As he, they cast Wolfman Jack as that guy because you're, you don't know, you know, like maybe he's just lying to the kid or maybe he's telling the truth, but we know it's Wolfman Jack for real. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. but Wolfman Jack is not well, like because he's a mysterious character, no one actually knows what he looks like at exactly. that time. Right. He became well known in the 80s where everyone, he had like a right. TV show and everything else. But but there's a, there's a no secret one. positive statement about like you should look forward to your life. Magic really does happen. But the only way you can know that isn't in this meta way of knowing that that is actually Wolfman Jack. Like the movie says, you know, heroes disappoint. Don't don't wish too much to meet the the blonde woman in the car, you know, all that kind of stuff. And Wolfman Jack flies around on an airplane broadcasting. Uh, mm-hmm. So like all that is the sort of the theme. But the secret theme is magic still, of course, really happens. And I sure. think that's a very, very touching thing to have done. A nice bit of casting. Right. And he did a great job, actually. Oh, it's terrific. Oh, it's oh terrific. Wolfman was great. Yeah. It was really great. Because the fact is, he didn't have his voice. Like, he had a regular voice. Like, regular, he regular guy voice. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, which was kind of interesting as well. Um, but anyway, uh, the you know, he, he ends up 
saying, well, maybe I'll see what I can do if I can get the Wolfman out there. And so eventually he gets on the radio and uh, he says, you know, dedicate this song to the the blonde woman and the T-bird. I've got a friend of mine. He wants to meet you. At, go to Mel's diner at this time right. or call this number and like, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's so he, gives, out, he, right. he puts the message out there and everyone's trying to figure it out. Right. Um, and, and he does, he does call, she doesn't calling, but you know, they never actually hook up, but mm -hmm. she, uh, uh, it was pretty interesting. He's like, I'll see you tomorrow if you go cruising. And then he realizes he's going to be out of town. So. Yeah. Well, this is the, this is the beauty of it. Like he gets on the phone, actually talks with her say do you know who i am do you know who i am and she's like and she clearly knows exactly who he is he can't uh -huh. quite get her to say who she is but maybe right. they can meet up and then uh she makes you know makes a kiss noise on the, on the phone and that's basically the end of their relationship and right. you're like that is so much better than if he actually ever met her yeah like right. that is because she is a, a product of his mind but isn't that diner too like mickey rourke and diner does the same thing Hmm. Right, he's get he meets the wealthy woman. Right, 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 right. Yep, yeah, yeah. But it's yeah. also the fact that it's like all of these things in his life are whether he's going to leave town or not. Mm -hmm. Right, like I am, I have to leave town, or otherwise I'm going to get, you know, initiated by the yeah. pharaohs. It's, yeah, exactly. It's or, like the ultimate gang of townies. I, yeah, yeah. Or if if I if I do stay in town, then maybe I could meet her. Right. And then, you know, he had to make, but you know, it'd be a disappointment, you know, like, yes. you know, like you, if you, if you continue to live in the dream world, like it will, it will always, you'll always feel the fact that it's not real. And that's right. That, or you know, you'll get shot or, or you'll get I remember, shot. Yeah, exactly. I remember very specifically when I, this is when I was in, in college or grad school. I don't remember where I was. Uh, anyway, I was, my parents lived in Chappaqua, New York. Right. And I would, I got a job at New York city. Uh, as an intern for an architecture firm, and I had to take the uh, the uh, Metro North train from I Chappaqua. I know the Metro. Yeah, I took the Metro North from Chappaqua to New York City. And when you get on the train, as if any of you taking the commuter train to New York, everyone tends to get on the train around the same area of the platform. Kipsy, Hermannic. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> they end up in the same area of the train. So that means every day, no matter which station you go in or out you kind of see the same people same in people. the same spot and the same yep. train, right? If I went two cars down, I'd see completely different people, right? But because of the exact car that I get in every day, I see the same people. And there was this one, and I ended up sitting in these benches, you know, the benches where they're facing each other. Like, right. so you see like, right. And so there was this very attractive girl that was always on the train with me, very attractive. Right. And she came up, she got on at Chappaqua as well, et cetera, et cetera. And so, I always wanted to check her out, but the only way that I could check her out without being creepy was to look in the out the window at her reflection, <laughs> reflection through the other yes. side. That's right? That's creepy, though. Yeah. yeah, I know. <laughs> with a video camera. Yeah, no, only with, yeah, exactly. But I turned the red but, light off. But listen, so no listen, recording. listen. <laughs> hold on. Listen to the story. So I was like, I, you know, because she's really cute. I was like, oh, she's yeah, really everybody cute. Everybody has so done this. this not, yes. Everyone's done this. Yes, I'm, not, I'm not creepy for yes, looking men at Men and women do this. Cute. Everybody does this. Okay. I'm not yes. creepy for looking at a girl that's cute. Yes, I'm fine. looking, if I stare at her, then it's different. Anyway, so I was telling this story to a friend of mine, and he's like, <laughs> I was like, he's like, well, you should 
here's how you meet her. Here's what you do. You do this, you do that. And it's like, no. And he goes, what do you mean? No. And he goes, I don't want to meet her. She lives in Chappaqua. It's going to be a big disappointment. It's going to be as good as my dream. Are you kidding me? Yeah, she's going to be just a really terrible person. And I don't I'd, like. I didn't say that specifically, yep. but like, okay, what yeah, if no, she like, is a really terrible person? Chances are she might be a very yes, terrible person. The the, the uh, uh, so right Sus now, let me just let her just stay a reflection in the window. <laughs> yes, exactly. Because Suzanne Summers in this movie uh, that freshly learned uh, is is a projection of what Richard Dreyfus wants in a girlfriend. Like he has no information about her at all. He doesn't yeah, right. like, there's no reason to like her, her dislike her. So she's simply pretty, you know, and that's it. That's all he knows. And so like, right. he's assigning all this, like everything about her has to be the most wonderful in order to it, for it to make sense that I had that feeling when I looked at her. Uh, right. And, uh, and in, in truth, like you have no idea what she is. You don't but have the, any idea. The reality too, is that he is afraid away in a way to go out and face the world. But then when he runs into that teacher, he says, go out and do it and explore the world. And then this young student comes by and he goes off with her and kisses her. Right, yeah. right, right, right. It's disturbing. Yes, exactly. Like they, they, there's a, if you guys read the famous story, um, uh, 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 the Velveteen Rabbit. I, yes. How do I know? No, what okay. is that? It's a it's a famous children's book. It's a beautiful book. And, oh, the Velveteen uh, Rabbit. Yes, Velveteen, Velveteen Sorry, Rabbit. And I thought you were talking something like Lolita. the Velveteen. The Velveteen. Velveteen. <laughs> yes, Vladimir Nabokov's the Velveteen, Velveteen Rabbit. But the, uh, the Velveteen Rabbit uh, is a uh, toy that wants to become a real rabbit, right? And along its journey it meets a character called the skin horse and the skin horse is like a hobby horse um, character. And the skin horse tells him, you know, like, like this is what happens when you become real. And like, this is what, like you'll go through this, you know, like it says, like gives the sort of statement of the story of just like, like you have to, you have to grow up to become real. And that's when and it's so much better. Right. And, uh, and like, but the skin horse is still a toy. Like it's not, like it has not achieved the realization that it is, it is talking about, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and I think there's a weird, there's a beautiful sadness to that. And I thought of that when I, when that scene with the teacher where I'm just like, he's giving this advice of just like, go off and do this, that live your life and blah, 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 blah. But then you, you, you didn't do that. You did not do this. In fact, you're definitely trapped in exactly what I'm afraid of. You know, right. and, uh, and I mean, like I, I would, to be critical of myself, you know, like I have all sorts of advice for how, to, how people should become filmmakers. Right. But I'm still the skin horse. I'm not, the, I'm not actually the filmmaker. I just have all these built up feelings about being a filmmaker. And I think right. that that's what this movie taps into very, very well, right? It's like, it's very honest about, um, the reality of our own dishonesty. And I think right. that, uh, that's what makes it in the, like, that's what makes, especially like Richard Dreyfus. Uh, like realizing that this is a dream that that relationship is, is can only ever be that good if it is not real. And right. that is, that is as much a part of him deciding to engage real life as anything is because this can't live up to, yeah. get, to what, what you can actually experience. Right. Um, okay. Let's go back to, because I want to, you know, talk a little bit about, toad for a little bit so mm -hmm. toad ends up you know with the girl 
He tries to buy liquor, goes horribly wrong multiple times trying to buy liquor because he doesn't have his ID. Obviously, he's underage. <laughs> it's a, it's some funny ass, very super bad moment right there as well. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of crazy stuff goes on, but right. he does end up finally getting the liquor and then he takes her out, you know, to go make out with her at some, you know, at some uh, secluded place. Uh, and she's totally into it. She's totally into yeah. it. So that's, that's, that's good. But then he's like, it's too crowded here. So they get out of the car and, uh, and, uh, they're making out in the field. And that's the moment where you don't hear the music is like, wait, where's the music? Oh no, they stole the car. They stole the car. Which was, <laughs> this is just so funny. Cause it's not his car as we no. know. And she's like, but you know, that's okay. Cause you have the Jeep and everything. Nope. That's, that's not a reality. And so, uh, anyway. Uh, then they run into a Ron Howard. Ron Howard's like, where's the car? And he's like, oh, I, it's a, 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 where's my car? He goes, oh, don't worry. I parked it in a safe place. And then she says, and thank goodness he did because they stole our car. That real <laughs> line cracked me up. So funny. It's yeah, so funny. Perfect slapstick and, stuff right there. Yeah. Weird. And so, so finally, like, they do that. Uh, and then. So they're walking around. I forgot what they end up doing, but then they end up, they end up finding the actual car. They, they found the car that was stolen. They try to steal it back. <laughs> These two big thugs bat them around, right? Mm-hmm. At which point, uh, what's the the guy? The guy with the hot rod shows mm-hmm. up to his rescue, right? <laughs> this guy. So McLovin as as McGregor. Hey, nice to see you, McGregor. And by the way, thanks McGregor for resubscribing for another month. Oh yeah, thank you very much, McGregor. Awesome, excellent. Um, McLovin comes in, and uh, uh, and and he gets beat up. His glasses are are broken, uh, and he starts to basically tell the girl that everything he's been telling her all night has been a lie. Right? He doesn't have <laughs> the horses. I don't. There's what's the sign from Seinfeld? Yeah. The sign from Sunfield. There's no solarium, no second solarium, no prickly. He confesses everything to her. Forget me. I'm, I'm terrible. I'm a loser. Yeah, forget about it. And then she goes, No. It's like, I actually had a really good time tonight. I mean, we got <laughs> we got booze. You got a car stolen. You got beat up. We found the car. Yeah, like, this is a lot of exciting life. Yeah, exciting life. There was a robbery because they, yeah. you know, someone robbed the liquor store. Uh, anyway, you know, he threw up. That's right because he drank too much liquor because he never really had liquor before. Yeah. So and so she acknowledges that everything was actually like great. So to him, it was like, yeah, maybe call me up. Maybe we'll do something tomorrow. So that's the hope, right? So he's the one who actually has something that happened in some ways. Uh, and then, of course, as we mentioned before, the 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 story that puts everything together as the least interesting one. But basically uh, Ron Howard and his girlfriend are both upset and sad, right? They're dealing with like, he wants to pretend like everything's going to be okay. She wants to be mad at him, but in the end they actually really love each other. And that slow dance scene with the two of them is mm-hmm. really, really touching where they realize mm-hmm. like, Oh shit. I really, they realize they're about to, you know, be separated by a lot and yep. and it's and it hurts mm-hmm. right that's really the only thing that their story is saying right mm-hmm. they yeah. break up right and then when they break up he's at the diner sad mm-hmm. by himself and every girl in town which is funny because it's ron howard all every girl in town is trying to see if they can 
pick up the like go out with him while because now he's free on the market right including the very hot waitress which yep, there too right. which is kind of funny um and so basically it's you know it's not it's not going uh so he's kind of going through this this thing but what happens is she finds out that all these girls are hitting on him or that he's going to go out with some of them or something of that nature and she gets really upset and jealous and guess whose car she hops into during uh, the um, <laughs> during the cruising section, but with um, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, 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 Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford's car. Yeah. So like the worst person possible, right? right? The worst person possible. She jumps in the car with him, and so he Harrison Ford is still obsessed with trying to find the yellow uh, yellow hot rod. Finally, meet the yellow hot rod. They're like. Me, all right, fine, let's do this. They go out to Paradise Road, which is where they're going to have the race. By this point, the sun is starting to come up. They go to Paradise Road, they get ready for the race. Uh, Toad is in the car with the guy with the hot rod. Um, oh, he dropped off the girl back to her house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very sweet drop off. Yeah, which was great. You know, she's like, I want something to remember me by. So she clearly wants something that makes it feel like he's her boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And he can't really do that because she's so young and it would right. be wrong and creepy. So he gives her the knob shifter on his car, <laughs> so which okay. is great. It's just so, like, it's so, it's so awkward and, and charming. You're just like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like here, take, take this. And she's yes. like, this is awesome. It's like we're going steady. I was like, whatever. And no. then he kisses, kisses her on the cheek to say right. thank you. And she's, She's happy. She's satisfied. Nothing happened. And it was really, uh, really, really. It's a great story. It's a really, really, really great story. story. But anyway, then that's when he ended up saving Toad. And then he, he, uh, uh, you know, then he gets into the race. And so the race happens. Basically, Toad is the flag man. But she refuses to get out of the car. Or, yes, she refuses to get out of the car uh, because she's angry at Ron Howard. Right. Uh, through she's going to show him, right, right. She's going to show him we're about to do this drag race uh, for these with these hot rods. The hot rods are going. He was clearly the yellow car is clearly ahead for a while, but Harrison Ford's car is catching up to him pretty quick, and then screws up at the last minute and runs off the road and rolls over and crashes really badly, which that should have actually been fatal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man, it looks like a pretty. Like that, that was like a brutal bad, roll. Yeah, like that's a that's yeah. a hospital car crash if I've ever seen one for sure. Right. Like no, no um, bad. Oh, interesting. McGregor says on the Mandalorian, uh, Gr- uh, Grugu takes the knob shifter. He wonders if they took that from uh, American Graffiti. Uh, oh yes, oh, that's great. Yes, that's true. That is a very good point. He yeah. keeps taking the she. Keep, he, yes, that's absolutely. I could a hundred percent guarantee that that is probably where that it was an American graffiti reference. A hundred percent. I think, I mean, if they can finally just unite the universes of American graffiti and star Wars completely. Right. And the backstory uh, the is backstory that, that America. Is, yeah. 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 And then you have, and then you have like, if you have baby Yoda and you have baby Bob Falfa was a tiny Harrison Ford. That'd be really lovely. Maybe we can do that with CG. Yes. <laughs> and also shoot me. <laughs> yes oh my god 
You know, they did make a sequel to American Graffiti called More American Graffiti. Yeah, they did. Yeah, well, and it's, have you guys seen this? I haven't I seen it. Years ago. It's, it's really weird. It's, I wouldn't even say, it's, it's not nowhere near as good, but it, they're really trying to do something interesting with it. Like, it has this found footage quality to it. There's, like, heavy Vietnam stuff. Like, it's, it's worth watching. I would say, like, I suggest watching it. It's not good. It's not nowhere near as good, but it's that you can see how experimental they wanted to continue being. And it just huh. isn't, isn't quite as well made. Okay. So, uh, so the car crashes, they both get out of the car, uh, with very slight injuries, if any at all, mm -hmm. uh, more right. traumatized from the situation. Right. The car explodes in a giant, giant ball of uh, fire. Yeah. Right. Uh, uh, and, um, what else happens? Uh, and then at this point, uh, you know, a couple of, couple of moments, closing moments here. One is the guy with a yellow car says he was beating me. He's like, yeah, but you totally won. He's like, yes, but he was beating me. If he didn't make that stupid mistake, he would have beaten me. Yeah, right. right. That's, that's, that's a thing, right? Uh, Millennium absolutely. Falcon is faster. <laughs> it's the way it is, man. <laughs> right. Well, and it's also basically it's such a strong feeling of like my life is catching up to me. Like, right. yeah, yeah. There's just I'm I'm going to get beat. Like that was right. as close as, as it's ever come. Right. Because well, that's the other thing, right? Is because his whole life is everyone loves him in this town because he's got the fastest car, but yeah. his life needs to mean that's all more he's known than that. For, yeah. 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 That's right. I, but it's staying here is death. Like staying here is death. Right. Yeah. So. So that was the thing. And then uh, the decision, obviously, you know, when you go to the airport, you know, we started a film where uh, Ron Howard's character was saying, we're going to leave town. I'm going to go, uh, you know, make out with other girls, quit college girls. And then uh, Richard Dreyfuss like, I don't know if I want to leave. Now, it ends up, of course, as you would imagine, the reverse. Richard Dreyfuss gets on the plane and Ron Howard stays behind, right? Right. So, um, so that's the way that goes. And then, of course, uh, as you said in the end credits, we find out that two of them die in Vietnam. And yep, uh, one Toad of them goes and uh, yeah, yeah, one. Of, yep, right. Yep. So, and, uh, so yeah. So and Richard Dreyfuss ends up going to Canada. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Richard Dreyfuss goes to Canada, and and Ron Howard becomes an insurance salesman. <laughs> right. In Modesto or something like that. In Modesto, yeah, which in makes Modesto. perfect goddamn sense. Yeah. <laughs> like that thing say that is exactly correct i'm just like realistic <laughs> yep so uh so yeah so it was kind of uh you know it's 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 a it's a great it's a great story um and like i said i love the the music the whole time in fact what i also like is they keep the music going on the airplane and mm. as you said they the the music is supposed to be implied that it's part not coming from you know, behind the, the camera, it's supposed to be coming from around the environment, either right. in the cars or whatever. But right. he literally has a radio in his lap on the yes. airplane Listen listening to it. To it remains diegetic sound the entire time. Yep. Yes. Yep. Which yep. is yep. kind of an amazing thing. So, and it's because he's carrying cool. this with him. Like it's a little magic box that continues this thing from his, from his hometown, mm -hmm. you know? And so, like, it's a, it's a, it's a weird. Well, little, the music. Like you the said, music is it carries with yeah, yeah. It's a, it's yeah. an object that that is his memory, you know, and uh, yeah. So like I I agree with you. I like I agree with Eric that it's like they they have an opportunity to really fucking kill it right at the end, um, and I 
can understand that being a very hard sell, like having a really depressing ending to that movie probably would have, yeah. might have kept it from being the mega hit that it was. Um, I agree with you, Eric. And when, when that car crashed, I really thought that she was dead. And then when she right. wasn't, it made sense. I didn't like, but if she wasn't, if she wasn't dead or she did die, that then you have to make, that's the end of the movie, but it's hard to make that an end of a movie. Like there's no, you can't wrap up a bunch of things. Like all of a sudden, just no, everything you continue, breaks. Though. They're at the airport. He, he's his mother doesn't want him to go because his sister just died. He's like, I got to go. He can't well, go to the airport. He yeah, can't well, get on well, an airplane when his sister just died. That's the, that's well, you can say fun. it's a couple days later or well, a week this or a the, month later. But. Well, like this, I, okay, I think Chris is a good point because like this is the same conundrum that they had with uh, the end of Seven, like where like the uh, the original end of Seven, uh, spoiler for anybody who hasn't seen Seven, why haven't you seen Seven yet? That the, uh, the original ending was Brad Pitt shoots Knucklehead uh, and that's the, and then it basically like, that's the end of the movie. Like it, it's like cuts to a helicopter shot and somebody call somebody, somebody call somebody. And it cuts to black the end. And Fincher was like, that's the way it's got to end. And then he showed it and he's like, wait, no, that doesn't work. Like this is too, it's like, you've been on this long, slow burn the whole time. And then to just sort of like cut out, it made it play like a gag. So then they're like, how do we, how do we end this? You know, and so I can feel them having the same sort of discussion about this because I bet it feels so natural now that you say it. I'm like, I bet they were like, how do we kill Cindy Williams? Like, how do we do this and have the movie work? And I bet they could, I just think they couldn't come up with it. I think that's too hard. You can't like, you have all this big, beautiful fun and you love all these characters and you pull the rug. Someone front. had to get on an airplane that day. Yeah. And if Cindy Williams had died, you can't cut to neither that of them. Neither of them could get on an airplane right. that day. There's no way. There's no way out of that ending. Like that. The the only ending is the seven ending where you just like uh, cut to black. The end. <laughs> yeah. Why right. does yeah, no. well, you know why does it have to be that he gets on the plane? Real life just that's started. The journey we've been. That's a journey we were. We the were journey on is to real life. Time. To real life. That they, yeah, I they, think they're all they're all wrestling with, uh, you know, trying to come to terms with reality. And then the 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 picture making that I feel that I definitely am attracted to is the is that reality is going to come and get you regardless. Like it's going to hit you in the face, and uh, and you won't be able to get out. And they do the softer version of that, which is Toad got killed in Vietnam, and it's like that's the ending of the story. It happens outside the movie, but it is no, you know. And so they they clearly had a. They're like, we need something like that. Otherwise, no, this movie is invalid. Um, but we can't do it so hard as to have them die in a car crash. Otherwise, everything else is invalidated before this. So it's, yeah, it's a tough call. It's a very tough call. I don't know. I don't know how I would solve that. I think it's a really attractive ending you're describing. I don't know how to. I'm not I don't sure know how to, to write that. I don't, I don't know, know how, how to write, write that. that ending. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, 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 I think someone had to get on an airplane. Mm. that morning well i mean Someone. i think and, and like the, the shot out the when dreyfus is looking out the window of the airplane is like that's a great way to sum up the movie you know like you're seeing this the white keeper yeah where you're just like this little dream of a vehicle driving away through this endless landscape you know and it's just like yeah. it's so far away and so small you know and when, meanwhile you basically spent the entire movie in that t-bird mm. <laughs> you know and then you look outside of it and it's just this one little dot you know, in a larger world. I think it's, it's a, it's a, it's a very good ending. 
very very yeah. good ending but yeah I, I i hear what you're saying man i hear what you're saying There's a it, sense it is but it is a weak point like the, the that car crash should have been more tragic than it was and right. it wasn't right. it did not have the tragic could, could you kill um paul lamette could you like, oh yeah they kill paul lamette maybe yeah. that's the ending. yeah he dies maybe. yeah and that's like, Williams hero. gets out right yeah, exactly. Cindy Williams gets out. It's, you know, it's pressing the bounds of reality in that car crash that she'd escape. But like, you know, if reality crashes down on her, dude is killed. And that's the thing that which everyone's going to remember. Which is the Harrison Ford character or the other guy? No, no, uh, no, the other guy. The guy that I mistook for Treat Williams. And by the way, yeah, I'm just yeah. going to say as a, as a, uh, I put up in our subscriber lounge on Discord a photo of Paul Lamette next to Treat Williams at the same age. And I'm asking people if I'm nuts. So if you are a subscriber and you're part of our Discord, uh, you get secret messages during a show like this. And uh, if, uh, if you want to see if I'm nuts, please go and vote. <laughs> right. And just to let people know, because I actually, if it's okay with you guys, I'm going to wrap it up kind of soon because I got to get to my yeah, daughter's right. play. Um, and uh, But uh, that's a little sequence for you guys because, uh, yes, if you are um uh if if you're a subscriber to us on i see what you're saying yes you're right um if you if you are a uh a subscriber the way to be a subscriber is to go onto your uh, in in twitch is to go uh, if you have prime you can do one subscription free per month which uh, a lot of people have been doing including mcgregor now so thank you very much and that really helps because that helps pay our bills and that we really support uh, that. And by being a subscriber, then on our Discord, you get access to our subscriber-only lounge, uh, which is also there as well and would be really helpful. So we appreciate all of your subscriptions. Um, as, and if you don't have Prime, you can still subscribe to us. It's just it's going to cost you five bucks or something like that. Yep. Um, that's That's what we got. But anyway, this was great. Uh, the reason we did these films as a reminder is because Dan's about to go on a big road trip. So we wanted to do road trip films. So Sugarland Express and American Graffiti are mm -hmm. road trip films of some kind. Journey films, shall we say? Yes. Uh, and car based uh, journey films. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I really love the discussion we had about George Lucas and Spielberg in their early career and how that influenced everything they had, which was great. But for, the next next week we're going to do a watch party. It'll only be Eric and myself probably. And any suggestions you guys have uh, would be great. Uh, that with that, we may do another watch party the following week, depending on when Dan gets back from his trip. So we can do another one at that point, but we have enough podcasts now in the bank that we can go for two weeks without recording a new one. So that would be fine. But we look forward to seeing you guys uh, uh, next week for a watch party with Eric and myself, and we will find something that would be great. But if you guys have a suggestions of a suggestions of movies you'd like to hear uh, or see us do as a watch party, please go on our Discord. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and put a link to our Discord. Keep remembering to do this. We are also available uh, on uh, Twitter, uh, and our handle is uh, at Martini Giant. Um, and I'm going to be, I'm probably going to be posting some photos of, uh, my trip as it goes, uh, to, uh, our Twitter. So if anyone has some recommendations for where we might be going, the trip is pretty open-ended. So please hit us up, uh, at Martini Giant, uh, on yep. Twitter. 
And uh, you could also get us on. And also Instagram. our Twitter is a good yeah. place to get the discord link because yes. the discord link is called a funky. So go to the, uh, uh, our Twitter uh, and, and the header of our Twitter, you will find the link to our discord. If you want to join our discord there in case you're listening to this podcast and you didn't see the link. So that's a good place to go. And no McGregor, well. I did not know that Cindy Williams is uh, auditioning, uh, auditioning for princess Leia. That would have been a very bizarre. I love Cindy Williams. That would have been really weird. Unless maybe they had uh, um, who played Laverne. Uh, she was a uh, Penny Marshall. Penny Marshall. Oh, uh, right. Penny Marshall. So Penny Marshall plays C three PO. Everything works. <laughs> oh, that's horrible. <laughs> well, that was, who who played it? Who played C three PO in in Spaceballs? Wasn't that what's her name? Oh, it's yeah. God, what's her name? Uh, that's funny. The one who does the red carpet. Who did the red yeah, carpet? Yeah, yeah. She died. Yeah, I can't think of her comedian. Name. Yeah, she was she was yeah. hilarious. Very funny. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you all very, all right. very much. That was uh, that was completely excellent and awesome, awesome stuff in the chat as well. Uh, and uh, I will be back uh, in two weeks. But please listen to these dudes because they're they're going to be watching movies way better than the one I left him with last time. Oh. <laughs> I do not have choice. I'm not going to voice my choice for what they should watch. They they will watch something worthwhile next time. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I'm looking forward to listening in if I if I cannot join. Yeah, and McGregor said Fonzie was Jar Jar. So. <laughs> yes, when Jar Jar got the shark. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right, you guys ready? Yep. Let's do it. Drink. Talk. Drink. Talk.